Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Read Right to Left podcast. I am Simply G, a manga tuber who you guys may know uh, here on YouTube. I am joined by my lovely co-host Ray from Whimsical Pictures. We are both huge, huge manga fans so we decided to start this podcast talking about many of the series we love, like, dislike, whatever topic really uh, we we take a liking to and this is hopefully going to be a once a month thing for us and today's topic is going to be pretty simple pretty straightforward our top five favorite manga our reasons have a bit of discussion about each of them but I'll let uh, Ray introduce herself a little bit as well and then we can start on our list yep take it away <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, so like G said, my name is Ray, and I also sometimes make videos about manga. <laughs> I am currently teaching in Japan, so I read a mix of manga in both English and Japanese, and I like manga a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> and me and G uh, often talk about manga through various channels social media wise and so we thought we would take a shot at uh maybe turning some of those thoughts into uh something more substantial i guess yeah so we hope you guys enjoy listening to it because <laughs> uh, that that's the plan so i think rather than spending too much time on sort of introducing this topic we'll head straight into our top five ray if you could tell us your number five please all right so my number five was really hard to come up with <laughs> it was definitely the most difficult number i think because i just kind of love so many things and yeah. just like <laughs> putting this list together was just like choosing between all of my hundreds of children <laughs> <laughs> and you could just as easily replace the title I went with with, you know, any number of others, but mm -hmm. I decided to go with one of my favorite currently ongoing series. Mm -hmm. uh, probably one of the longest series that I'm collecting right now. I don't tend to go for long series, but this is an exception, and that is Yoda of the Dawn by mm. Mizuho Kusanagi. Now, that's a great series. What do you really enjoy about that particular series? Because I love it as well. I'm sure yeah. most people know yeah. I love it. Most people who are reading it uh, that I know do also love it. It's a really, <laughs> really good series currently coming out. Uh, but what in particular made you choose this one for number five? Yeah, so for one, it's almost representative of a genre for mm -hmm. me because I am a huge fan of this kind of sweeping epic eastern fantasy series often isekai although that is like someone from our world getting mm. swept away to a fantasy world <laughs> if uh, anybody watching doesn't know what isekai <laughs> means at this point yona of the dawn is not an isekai series but a lot of these types of sweeping epic fantasies with sort of a teenage heroine at the center of it were mm -hmm a staple, especially of the 90s and the early aughts, and really were 
still kind of, I guess it was kind of the tail end of that trend when I was first really getting into manga. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with the uh, Fushigi Yugi's and the yeah. <laughs> Twelve Kingdoms. <laughs> Before there was uh, Team Team Edward and Team Jacob, <laughs> there was Team Tamahome and Team uh, Hotohori <laughs> and Team Toski. I guess there's three yeah. three bachelors, <laughs> eligible bachelors. But yeah, I am a big fan of that subgenre of sort of these almost well not almost coming of age <laughs> stories yeah centering on sort of a young female heroine learning about the world and being sort of very suddenly sort of thrown out into this crazy wild adventure and not um, not just thrown out into adventure but thrown into responsibility usually she's in charge yes. of other people which for mm-hmm. a lot of young women is not a position they're in uh, that often yeah. so it's it is a really interesting um obviously as you mentioned it's sort of a more standard or long standing form of isekai that we've seen mm-hmm. comparatively to like the current isekai that we're getting yeah. where it is mainly like this wish male wish fulfillment <laughs> um Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so so this type of isekai although this isn't technically isekai but this type of story is more so that same idea and where you're you're putting an individual a young person in a place of power and usually with an ability that is not really comparable to the other people around her or around them and they're usually given this respect that they otherwise may not have and that's a obviously very empowering thing for young women and unfortunately as we've seen it's sort of isekai as a whole has dropped off of that idea of yeah. the female main character yeah and you definitely these days see more of like almost a hero or heroine even in like the shoujo mm-hmm. isekai that is out now like um accomplishments of the duke's daughter comes to mind immediately yeah my next life is a villainess um, whatever that one is. Yeah. That. <laughs> Which I really, I really like that Yeah, series, it's a very but, fun series. Um, it's, it's a trip. But, um, <laughs> there's almost this, uh, in these stories, the hero and heroine are sort of not, con- they're not challenged on what they believe. They're almost sort of validated in how everything about how they already are (laughs) and just told over and over that it's the world that's at fault not them yeah absolutely and that's almost the antithesis of this kind of story Mm -hmm. where basically everything this young girl believes is challenged and turned on its head and she's forced to you know come out of it with a stronger sense of self and who she is and what she values which is infinitely more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how this relates to Yona in particular, just like a, you know, one or two sentence rundown of the plot, uh, kind of spoiling the first chapter or so, I guess. Uh, we have this spoiled princess named Yona in a sort of Korean, Chinese, Japanese sort of fantasy world and it is her 16th birthday and she is eager to go woo this boy that she is in love with a childhood friend her cousin uh which you know 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's not part of the story. <laughs> but yeah, so she's super into her cousin and she's eager to woo him. So she goes, I guess, to find him or something and ends up walking in on this very man that she loves uh, standing covered in blood over the corpse of her father, the king. And he usurps the throne and her with her life in danger she of course is forced to flee the palace with her trusty hunky bodyguard <laughs> in tow and live as a fugitive on the run trying to figure out what she's going to do about this vile usurper mm -hmm. um, and she ends up sort of amassing a merry band of misfits uh, that has to do with this ancient myth and you know all that fun fantasy stuff but it's about her essentially having to grow up and be the leader that she was born to be really fast this series is so compulsively readable mm -hmm. every single volume is just like i just get obsessed with the series <laughs> all over again like i just want to devour volume after volume and then it's so depressing when it's just like one new volume that's out and I have to wait a couple more months for the next one. <laughs> this is one series where I got so impatient I ended up buying like five volumes in Japanese because it's like super behind the Japanese release. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to hold back on doing that again. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> so much of a temptation. Every time I read a volume, I just don't want to stop. I just want to be in like a constant state of reading this series. It is, I think, a series that has an extremely broad appeal. It um, covers quite a few genres. I mean, obviously, it's primarily a fantasy adventure. Um, it's definitely, you know, focusing in on sort of the swashbuckling and the, you know, high seas. I guess there's not a whole lot of seas. There's some seas. <laughs> some there's seas. some pirates. <laughs> I, I love my pirate husband. <laughs> voiced by Junichi Suwabe. Mm. <laughs> but you really love your the characters, especially that one. And I think that the whole cast of characters is really likable. That's one of the other reasons that really draws you in. There's no character that, if, in my experience, I find like really irritating or just not yeah. enjoyable to read. For sure. They're just, they're so... There's just so much fun. It's a great ensemble cast. Um, their banter and their the way they play off each other is really great. The humor in this series is consistently excellent. It's one of the series that I find myself laughing out loud the most at, I think. <laughs> of course, there's a little bit of romance in there as well. Uh, it's not enough to sort of overwhelm the plot, but it's there to add some spice if you want it. Mm -hmm. There's some political machinations, which are always fun. It's just basically whatever you could want from a fantasy adventure series. Yona's got it for you, and it's got it executed excellently. Yona, as I think I've said and established, love that series as well. It's fantastic. If you're not reading it, I think volume 19 just came out. It's super duper good. Um, you're really missing out if you haven't picked it up. If you're someone who hasn't really tried shoujo before, it's a really good starting point too. Um, like you said, it has a lot of general appeal. It doesn't feel like if you're not a fan of this high school first love romance type of stuff that I think a lot of people think of when they 
think of shoujo. It's not that. And it does have really something for everyone. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Great series. I will say that if you're a little put off by Yona's character in the first couple chapters, mm-hmm. um, one of the main sort of elements of this type of subgenre is watching the heroine grow as a person. And Yona is someone who... She kind of spends the first volume in a bit of shock, but she understandably sort of comes into her own. So I've seen people who are underwhelmed by her character in the first volume, but if you pick up the second volume, I think that you'll find very quickly why she's such a popular character with so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Give her some time. <laughs> Well, with that, I think I will go on to my number five. Like with you, it was really difficult making this list. Um, There are so many series I love, adore, uh, talk about, think about, and it is really like choosing between your darlings. There's there's no easy way to go about it. I have done this so where I have at least one series from each of the main demographics, so shonen, shoujo, mm-hmm. seinen, jose. There is an overlap with one of those, so I have two. But I did want to sort of cover all of my bases because obviously I have very wide tastes and I like a lot of a lot of series. But I think there will be some very obvious similarities between a lot of these series as well. So we'll just get to that when we get to it but my number five is the manga mushishi it's a seinen series one that i know you have read but it's a wonderful episodic series about this individual named ginko who has the ability to see mushi which is basically the name for the most primitive form of life in the world in the environment everything is built and comes from Mushi. So it's an integral part of this whole ecosystem, including humans. And unfortunately, usually when Mushi interact with humans, they cause various effects, mostly negative. And he wanders around Japan, helping people who have sort of gotten caught up with various Mushi. And it's a beautiful story of sort of coexisting with nature and the way that even though the Mushi aren't inherently doing anything, they're just trying to survive and exist amongst us. They're not really a villain of the piece, but they still obviously have negative aspects to them. But it is bringing this, as as I said, this coexistence between humanity and this more fundamental a simple piece of life and an integral piece of life that you can't just eradicate because obviously it's so important to everything that's going on. Other people can't see Mushi. He is sort of like um, other characters you see in media. He's able to see them. He's sort of an abnormality in that sense. And so, yes, it is just his his wandering, his various interactions with different people, how the Mushi have affected them in many different ways. There's an element of very high tension in certain chapters. There's also elements of, like, body horror and that sort of thing. So if you're into things that are a little bit creepy, definitely check it out. Um, and this one is does have a wonderful anime adaptation as well phenomenal and is probably 
the easier one to recommend to try because it does give so much to this series. Uh, I think that should be a topic that we discuss all on its own is just various adaptations of manga that may have done it better. But the music, the animation for the show is is beautiful. But I, I would be amiss to not mention the manga as well because it is so, so good. But quite un- out of print, unfortunately, currently. But you can still get it digitally yeah. thanks to Kadansha. Yes. Uh, this will appear <laughs> later in this podcast and I think I will give my own thoughts on it uh, then. Yes, uh, but it is um, obviously, it's on your list, so it is one that we both enjoy. Yeah. It's one that, again, I whenever I see people reading it or watching it or whenever I recommend it to people, it's one that most everyone has enjoyed and really captured this sense of awe that I don't think a lot of people really recognize is possible in anime or manga because it's it's yeah. it's, it's very different to a lot of the most popular stuff that's a lot very bombastic and a lot of action yeah. and all of these things. It doesn't have that, but it's still a very genuine story that does capture your heart. It doesn't have all the crazy robot explosions, <laughs> but it's just as captivating. Exactly. In a quieter way. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about that a little later. Yes, so y- you have your number four? My number four is not Mushishika. <laughs> yeah, my number four is Nana mm-hmm. by Ayazawa. Uh, this is a Jose series, I think. Well, it's kind of weird in that it runs in a, ran in a magazine that's sort of in between shoujo and jose demographics Mm -hmm. it ran in cookie but you know if i was going to recommend it to someone it'd be more towards someone who's interested in reading a jose series than a shoujo series uh the characters are all in their 20s for the most part but i do think it was one of the first kind of jose titles that shoujo beat ever put out yeah i believe so i remember it being out alongside honey and clover which is also a jose series Mm -hmm. which i also considered for my number five (laughs) it's a very good series i can understand why i yep (laughs) but it did not quite make it nana did make my number four Mm -hmm. uh this is Basically, um, I first read the series in high school when I don't think I was quite old enough to know what to make of it, Mm -hmm. but it stuck with me and I still find myself just like lost in thought about it every once in a while. (laughs) Like, man, that was a good series. So Nana is about two 20-year-old women named Nana who end up sort of on the train together going to Tokyo. They're both from completely different walks of life. Uh, One of them is going to meet her boyfriend and is sort of, I guess you could say a bit of a girly girl, like fashionable, you know, Mm -hmm. not really thinking too much beyond mooching off her boyfriend for the foreseeable future. And the other is a punk rocker going to try to make it with a band and they sort of find out that they are renting the same apartment together they're now roommates and from then their fates are further and further intertwined it is 
a lot about sort of the punk rock scene in Tokyo and like the rock star life. But more than anything, it's just about these sort of 20 something kids who have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> just making extremely questionable decisions so over and over. Everyone in their 20s, nobody knows what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. Just just more and more relatable. <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody in this series is perfect or even. I mean, I would say pretty much every character goes through a huge chunk of the series being completely unlikable, mm-hmm. but they feel so true to life in the way that they are messy and, like, just <laughs> frustrating and contradicting themselves constantly, just tripping over their own decisions, <laughs> trying to figure out how to live a good life. And to live a fulfilling life mm-hmm. and to have loving relationships with the people around them. Ayazawa just does such a good job of writing these deeply flawed and yet deeply sympathetic characters mm-hmm. that maybe like Moyoko Ano or Kyoko Okazaki, mm-hmm. that type of manga, I guess. Yeah. But I feel like. Her work isn't quite as cynical as those creators. Yeah, her characters, and I'll talk a little bit about my own experiences with Yazoa's work a little bit later, but uh, her characters do, they definitely feel like people that you could just meet. Even within themselves and with their own rationality, they can be conflicted, they, they feel like you know, they're they're people you know. <laughs> they don't feel like characters yeah. in a story uh, who have mm-hmm. things all worked out, who have the answers to everything, or even the answers to some things. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> characters that do do reflect life, and I think that most people can see either themselves or other people they know, friends, family, whatever, in them. And so it does make it more personal and easier for you to attach your own interpretation to it. And I personally have not read Nana. I have seen Paradise Kiss and wasn't a huge fan of it. But I think, like you said when you introduced Nana and your experience with Nana, I watched it in high school and didn't know what to think of it. (laughs) But it definitely stuck with me. And I'm not really a fan of Paradise Kiss, but for many of the reasons that you mentioned, you really do like Nana, and that the characters are unlikable, but very human, and understandable as to why they're doing things, how they work through things. I will never say that I hate Paradise Kiss, because I don't, I do think it has a lot of value, and I think if I went back to it now, with a different perspective, being older, being someone who has had that period of her life past, but still like struggling through her 20s and and gaining, I think, a bit more sympathy for myself and my peers who are in similar situations, <laughs> that I will not necessarily enjoy it, but understand it more and have it be more effective as to the message it's telling me or telling its readers. Um, I do hope to read Nana, but at 20 something volumes, it's a low priority. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's also like 
probably never going to end. Yeah, it's on like, Infinity Hiatus or whatever it is. It's on it's on hiatus <laughs> doing quote marks <laughs> in the sense that uh, after 21 volumes, Yazawa uh, did end up in the hospital for a while. And once she got out, she expressed publicly that she was no longer interested mm-hmm. in writing the story of Nana for the time being. So, and, uh, and it's been a long time since then as well. It's been several years. It's been several <laughs> years since then. So more than likely, Nana will just end on this horrible <laughs> cliffhanger. Oh no. That's always the worst. The most. <laughs> the most just. And I mean, the story could be wrapped up in I like two more volumes, probably. <laughs> It feels like this last place where it ended was like that big climactic mm-hmm. moment before the story reaches its end, and it's like. <laughs> Please, but you know, that's that's not a that's not my decision to make. That's up to uh, that's up to her and her feelings. So. Yeah, and and it yeah. is. I mean, for everything you've said, um, and from everything I've all, ever heard about Nana, it, it it doesn't mean you shouldn't read it or at least try it, um, because there's still a lot you can get, even if it is a somewhat inconclusive series, um, leaving you hanging for it, <laughs> close to a decade. I know calling it a soap opera kind of makes it sound like I'm lessening Mm -hmm. it, but I really do mean it in the best sense of the word, in that it really is just following the drama of these people's lives, and uh, you're going on a journey with them. It's it's not the destination, it's the journey with these lovable idiots. (laughs) And I guess, on a last note, I will also say that this series includes the better sort of portrayals of abusive relationships Mm -hmm. that I've seen in manga where it does feel very true to real-life cycles of abuse. You understand why the victims stay in these relationships. You understand sort of why people don't intervene and maybe even don't even realize that something is happening. Just like every other human relationship in this series, it's it's complex and it's layered in a way that I think similar relationships in Paradise Kiss maybe weren't. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, that does. I, I understand what you're saying and I, I can definitely... <laughs> uh, I can... And I'm pretty sure the abuser here was uh, at least somewhat inspired by Toga mm. from Utena mm. <laughs> because his character design is... <laughs> 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 Um, I will eat my hat if uh, he wasn't partially inspired <laughs> by that ass hat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my number four. And what about you? So my number four is another series that I absolutely love. I love the anime adaptation as well. I think it's one that really is something that more and more people need to read. It's sort of one that I don't think a lot of people think of when they think of this demographic either. So this is my number four is Descending Stories uh, by Haruko Kumota, which is a wonderful jose about a rakugo 
um, storyteller, traditional storyteller, who throughout the Showa period, he works and he sort of goes up in, in the ranks until he's sort of at the top of the art. Uh, he's really seen as one of the last true masters. And the Showa period, for people who aren't that familiar with, with Japanese like eras and history and that sort of thing, was between 1926 and 1989, I believe. Yep. And so obviously, huge chunk of the 20th century there, a lot happened, a lot changed. Japan went through wars, went through you know, ups and downs economically and socially, so many things happening. This idea of not just Japan, but the world, of course, but this eventuality of the introduction of technology and how entertainment changed. And so as a traditional art form, uh, Rakugo really fell out of favor with the general populace for a long time. People had television now, they had the cinema, they didn't want to be listening to storytellers sitting on a stage, you know, telling, telling stories that are hundreds of years old. It's, it wasn't what the young people were super into, you know, in the 80s. <laughs> so for our main character, he feels like with him, with his life, he's become emblematic of the era, of the art form. And when he eventually passes on and, you know, dies, that will be the death of Rakugo. It's an interesting thing in that even the title references double suicide and this idea of him committing double suicide with the art form itself. And I've said this before in regards to this character in the series, but it, obviously that's a very, um, not selfish, but like self-absorbed uh, mm. <laughs> perception of it. But for him, it's been his life for so long and he's seen it slowly dying. And for him, his life really stopped at a certain point. That he doesn't have a new hope or perspective for the future. Until later on in the series. And we see that slowly changing. Um, so it's not just, obviously, his lifetime and the people in his life. And how he's dealt with, with losing people very important to him. And sort of retreating to Rakugo and relying on on it uh, to get through his day to day. We also see how this traditional art form has to adapt to a modern era and this idea of preserving the traditional arts, how important they are as a cultural history. If we lose them, we lose so much mm -hmm. of a nation's history. Uh, we see it all the time in re with regards to indigenous you know, languages, art forms, whatever else. And Rakugo is sort of in that category. And kind of how later on in, at the end of the series, you see how Rakugo has managed to survive and adapt and change and why it has. And that reflected in our character and how he sort of realizes and changes and does decide to believe in things at the end. It's very, very beautiful. I've t called the series, um, you know, probably the best piece of art, best piece of media I've read, seen, watched in a long time. It really doesn't function like a lot of other manga. Um, 
it's one that I think you could make this story in any sort of format, whether it be live action, whether it be radio drama, whether it be comic, whether it be anime, and it can still bring something and be elevated and tell a story that is incomparable to everything else there. There's so much weaved into this story, not just this idea of identity and you know, separating art and artist or even family, which is a huge part of it. There's just so many things and I am very emotionally attached to it. I <laughs> cry every time. Uh, this is another one, like with Mushishi, I didn't mention this, but I was introduced to that series via the anime first. Mm -hmm. This series, same thing. And the anime is phenomenal. It definitely watches it. It's on Crunchyroll, guys. Please. Um, and even having watched the anime, sitting down and reading the manga, knowing what the ending was going to be, knowing, like, I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to cry. I still bawled like a little baby. Before I did my pickups video with this final, the final volume, I was like, okay, I haven't read this yet. I know I'm going to love it. I don't need to read it to know that. I flipped through it and I was choking up like I didn't even read it I was just like oh yeah 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 and then just oh why my heart it hurts so much I'm so I'm just I don't so overwhelmed and then I had to film a video so that was fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah I uh I own this entire manga <laughs> um I was able to complete it with last year's uh, right stuff holiday sale when I was home for the holidays but I didn't get mm -hmm. the chance to read it when I was home and it is currently in my parents closet with most of the rest <laughs> of my English manga um it's very kind of them to keep it stored instead of you know, selling <laughs> off all of my manga but especially hearing you talk about it uh I'm very much looking forward to it I did watch the anime. Mm -hmm. I like. I love. I'm a huge fan of Haruko Kumota. Um, mm -hmm. If you aren't familiar with her, literally everything that she's done that isn't the series is BL. But that doesn't make it any less amazing. Um, Itoshi no Nekoke by her is my favorite BL. <laughs> I think by a landslide. I think that she is an incredible creator. And this series, even coming out of someone who I already knew was incredible, it was just watching this anime was like, it's such a trip, like watching something and knowing it's one of the best things that you've ever seen as you're watching it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, props to Dean, Studio Dean as well, because they have a very bad reputation. Nobody they don't... knew they had it in them. <laughs> they've done they've done the odd series here and there that have been good. Like Sankarea was alright. That look had really good style to it. But by God, they pulled out all of the stops for descending oh, stories. God, it's so well directed. It's so just... beautiful. And oh. then like the direction, the way that the Rakugo is, like, weaved. Mm -hmm. Like, the way it weaves between the images of the story and the images of the storyteller in the room with the audience. Where it's like, you can feel yourself in the audience getting lost in his words. And it's just, like, so good. You can, <laughs> you can understand why he's such a captivating character and why people have been drawn to him and his Rakugo for so long. 
it's you don't feel like you're watching and you know this old guy telling a story like oh yeah okay grandpa like that's that's fine (laughs) (laughs) you do you get caught up into it he's truly is an artist how were you all right and everything this is the role (laughs) that won me over on akira ishida yeah absolutely my god from child to deathbed like this character's entire life and he portrayed it just through his voice i can't I can't even. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So good. Yeah. And that's just my feelings on the anime. So I'm definitely looking forward to the manga. And you've actually gone to see Rakugo, haven't you? Just recently. Just recently. I saw... I've seen Rakugo once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think only two of the four performers I saw... Because with Rakugo, you know, they have kind of like, I guess, stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. or a concert is like you have like your headliner and then you have openers. Yeah. Supporting acts. Who are, yeah, who are like local, in this case, Rakugo performers. Um, A couple of them still sort of apprenticing. Uh, One of them was a recent debut. The main guy was coming from Osaka. He's like a headlining Rakugo artist there. He's quite famous right now Mm -hmm. uh but his hometown is my town so he comes here essentially just out of love for matsuyama he comes down here every year and does a show in this like tiny little temple (laughs) (laughs) for like what was it i think it was 15 bucks oh nice uh so really nice of him to do that but he's like known for doing rakugo in several languages wow he was in new york like just before this for the first time that's very impressive and yeah so he he did one that he had written himself and it was just murder on my (laughs) japanese ability because it was entirely based on him like making puns between like locations in osaka Mm. and the japanese underworld (laughs) (laughs) and i was like wait (laughs) i'm kind of proud that i even understood the premise of the joke (laughs) um but his whole manner was just like so funny and so out there he's a very osaka personality Mm -hmm. even if he's from matsuyama so that was a blast (laughs) and then the lady before him uh women doing rakugo is a big thing within descending stories Mm -hmm. so for me who's like only prior exposure to rakugo is descending stories like seeing a woman like up there on stage like it's nothing because it is nothing now it's just there's a lot of female rakugo performers now was like, yeah. Yay! <laughs> uh, and hers was uh, the best. <laughs> she had written her own. Um, and it was about a mother trying to convince her kid's teacher to raise the grade on his test. <laughs> even though he'd made, like, almost aggressively stupid answers to all of the questions. <laughs> and... I laughed the most at that one. <laughs> I'm sure it helps that, you know, that vocabulary in that story is 
vocabulary I use every time. <laughs> My friend who was with me agreed that that was the best one. And then there was the other two guys before her did uh, not original Rafael, yeah. but stories that had been passed down. Uh, the one guy... He wasn't very good. (laughs) I couldn't. It was really hard to tell. I'm sorry (laughs) to this gentleman. Again, I was talking with my friend about it and it wasn't just me not understanding (laughs) Japanese. It was hard to tell like when he was switching characters, Mm -hmm. which if you've seen or read Descending Stories or seen Rakugo uh, is a huge part of it. It's like it is you are a one man storyteller you are voicing you need the distinct character voices of the yeah you're voicing every character in a story you know the women the men the children the elderly characters you are everybody (laughs) and they all need to be distinct you don't you can't put on different hats to represent each person you've got what a fan you've got your sleeves and you've got um there's like a handkerchief, I think, is the other thing. Yeah, I believe so. And that's all you've got. That and your body and your voice. <laughs> and this guy, I just couldn't tell. Like, he didn't change his voice mm-hmm. very much. Um, he didn't change how he was talking. So it was hard to get a grip on, like, when he was switching characters. Um, and he was just talking very fast. I don't know. That one was kind of a miss. Uh, maybe he was nervous. I don't know. The guy before him did a story that was about, uh, oh god, <laughs> the name of the monster is slipping my mind, but it's the famous Japanese monster that's just like a beautiful woman with a super long neck. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was about a guy who basically had no marriage prospects mm-hmm. and uh, was offered the chance to marry this beautiful, amazing woman. Everything about her was perfect, except in the middle of the night, her head would pop. <laughs> And her neck would just, like, grow and grow and grow and grow. And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and then, you know, has to deal with the consequences. The, roku- so. the Rokuro Kubi. Rokuro Kubi. That's it. Yeah. That was, uh, that one was good. So <laughs> he did a good job. I could tell when he was switching characters. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm very jealous. But unfortunately, I know very little Japanese, so I probably wouldn't be able to enjoy it to the the full extent. But it does sound like a great time. But coming from that, uh, do you have your number three? Yes, I do. (laughs) So back to (laughs) Mushi. Should mention that I am slightly delirious from a cold it's okay we forgive you our best (laughs) uh if my voice is a little weird that is also due to that but it's a lot better than it was a few days ago Mm. so uh yeah mushishi by yuki urushibara obviously we already got the plot rundown from g but uh yeah i love this series too (laughs) i adore it this is another one where like watching it reading it it's just that very surreal feeling of knowing that you're watching a masterpiece unfold in mm-hmm. front of you and just being in awe of everything that it accomplishes. This is one where I do prefer the anime over the manga adaptation. Yeah. Or I prefer the anime adaptation over the original manga <laughs> just because color and movement and sound do so much. For these stories, 
So I struggled with whether I wanted to put this on the list Mm -hmm. because of that. But in the end, I just, the manga as well, I love so much that, yes, it is one of my favorites of all time. It's just such an incredible story in just every aspect that it does. And like, I mean, again, with Descending Stories, and like I said when I was talking about it, it just manages to capture everything perfectly in sort of every iteration. I haven't seen the live-action film, but I've also heard nothing but good things about it. Um, It's a little bit more horror-focused, like, reliant, but, but it's almost, like, again, it's like taking parts of it and does takes what it needs to for the tone it wants and it's done very well from as i said what i've heard um but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just something that i think you can enjoy in so many different formats and still gain so much from each type of of yeah format it's it's so beautiful i've also heard really good things about the stage play i again haven't seen it but i I heard it was amazing like similar levels of praise to what i hear about the utana musicals Mm -hmm. i'm just like uh i want to be there (laughs) i want to go to there (laughs) um this series what do i say So, it's very Japanese Mm -hmm. in a way that I think not a lot of anime or manga is. Descending Stories, too, to a certain extent. Yeah, and Um, I'd say my number three is also very Japanese. So, uh, there's there's some themes here going in this list. But yeah, it's very distinctly Japanese. It's not something you'd see coming out of Europe or the Americas. It's Well, just... Thinking about the way that it portrays the supernatural, Mm -hmm. in the West, we have this idea of the supernatural of, like, if you think of ghosts or monsters or really anything that goes bump in the night, they're always either good or evil. Yeah. They're angelic or demonic. Um, You either have, like, some sad soul trying to get to heaven or you have something that is explicitly trying to harm you which when you think about it is such a myopic way to portray the supernatural mm-hmm. and i don't think i would have thought about that if i hadn't have read mushishi because mushishi takes a very shinto approach to the mushi which are essentially supernatural creatures they're essentially a take on yokai mm-hmm. um you know you have stories like inside the cage is Uh, take on the tale of the bamboo cutter you've got one that's like string in the sky i think it's called yeah it's based on the hagoromo famous japanese folk tales about supernatural occurrences and yokai people's interactions with mysterious phenomena the way it portrays the mushi is that they just are they're not angelic they're not demonic Mm-hmm. They don't really intend on having anything to do with humanity at all, except as far as humanity are sources of food or shelter. They're not good. They're not evil. They're just surviving in the world the same way that we are. And its portrayal of humanity is very much the same. It's very, very Shinto mm-hmm. and very Buddhist also. In how humanity is just another organism 
living within this natural system. And Mushi, these supernatural creatures, are the same. And very often they cross over and sometimes things bad things happen, sometimes good things happen. And it's Ginko's role as the protagonist and as an individual who can see Mushi to be able to delegate between the two sides. Yeah, and he is very much sort of metaphorically in between the two worlds. He has this encounter in his past that almost makes him part Mushi. Mm -hmm. A lot of the episodes that focus on him focus on feeling like he is both apart from and a part of both worlds. Absolutely. Which is very compelling. I think uh, people don't give Ginkgo enough credit for being a uh, pretty good uh, protagonist. <laughs> no, he's he's uh, honestly an amazing protagonist. I love him so much. He's very... one husband. <laughs> My sister adores him. Um, <laughs> which is understandable because he is wonderful. And yeah, if again, if you guys haven't read Mushishi, it's available via Kadansha digitally. Uh, if you yes. haven't watched it, I believe both seasons are on Crunchyroll. Um, I if think not, the second season is on Crunchyroll. The second season's on Crunchyroll. I know for sure. I think the if it the first season isn't, then it would be on Funimation's streaming website. Or whatever yes. they do, so I think it might be it might be on Netflix. Maybe I don't um, know, but it, you, there's lots of ways you can watch it, and lots anyway, of legal ways. It's there um, <laughs> legally, and you can watch it, and you should, and you should read it too. Uh, the series, it very much, yeah, like you said, it feels like a folk tale. I love the afterwards that the author writes, mm -hmm. talking about her inspiration for a lot of the stories, uh, whether it comes from a specific folktale or just something spooky that happened around a town that she was in. Um, she's got this fascination with small town Japan that I share in some respects, so mm -hmm. it's very cool to sort of hear about her adventures going around <laughs> these sort of tiny, dying towns. A lot of the stories will just come from, like, ghost stories that she remembers her grandparents telling her when she was a kid. In that and sense, so cool. it, oh, as I was, gonna, it was, I was just going to say, I, in that sense, it reminds me a lot of, like, Shigeru Mizuki and his inspirations yeah, yeah. for Kitaro and, you know, his grandmother telling him, or yeah, old lady telling um, him about the... Yes, okay. I think they... Both of those creators <laughs> definitely share a similar admiration for Japanese folklore and for yokai and this oral history that gets passed down. Yeah. Um, I think you see a similar reverence for those things in both creators' work. And I think both creators would be just equally fine with just spending an entire day out in the garden drawing a single <laughs> blade of grass. So <laughs> you should read uh, Kitaro. Yeah, Kitaro's <laughs> great. <laughs> when you're done with Mushishi. <laughs> There's another one I could have put at number five. Yeah, it's a great series and we're getting lovely additions from Drawn and Quarterly. And there's a new anime adaptation as well for people who don't like to read books. Um, yes, yeah, and there's that's also great. <laughs> yeah, it is really very good. I have probably 12 <laughs> episodes to catch up on it, so I'm a bit behind, but... 
Overall, I'm it's more behind very than solid. you are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very solid little show. And I've seen... Kitaro is interesting because in terms of anime adaptations, it's had one consistently every single decade since the manga came out. There's yep. a 60s anime, 70s, 80s, 90s, two 2000s ones, and obviously one currently ongoing. Um, I've only seen Hakab- uh, Hakaba Kitoro, which is one of the earlier 2000s one. Um, that came out on DVD here. I don't think it came out on DVD anywhere outside of Japan, aside from Australia. It's a good little show. It was an Otamune show, um, but very different in tone to current. Kitaro. <laughs> so. Current Kitaro is very good. Yes, it is very good. What's your number three, G? <laughs> so, my number three is like, it's almost kind of, It was very hard to choose a specific series for this creator. It's almost arbitrary, this choice. But I chose Oku, The Inner Chambers by Fumi Yoshinaga. This is. For people who have watched my videos for a long time, they know I'm a huge Fumi Yoshinaga fan. I love her character writing, everything she's done. I own everything that's been released in English of her work, which is most of it. And Oku is her currently ongoing historical fiction drama about an alternate history in which very well-known, famous figures in Japanese history, emperors, lords, ladies, that, have been gender swapped. So they are, rather than being men, which was the reality, they are now women. Because in her version of events, prior to this, um, there was a red pox that swept the nation. It only affected boys between infancy to 20 or 21. So it decimated the population of men. And as such, women have had to take over the roles that were generally held for men. And because it's set in this period when Japan was isolated from the rest of the world, they cut themselves off, nobody was coming in or out, it is this sort of, well, this could be the reality of what happened. We don't know because, you know, it was secret. It, they didn't, Japan didn't want the world to know that they were a nation of women, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. This could be the real history of things. And they took up, you know, when women took up positions, they took on male names. So all of the records would have that name. But, you know, in actuality, they were women. It's really, really interesting. Obviously, I personally am a huge history fan, but I think it's still fairly approachable for people who aren't really that knowledgeable about history especially Japanese history because I don't think it's something a lot of people outside of Japan learn on a you know more general basis I say this with all of Yoshinaga's writing but the her people her characters they feel again like you were saying with Nana they feel like even though they feel like real people they they feel like yeah. They make mistakes, they make stupid decisions, but they're yep. trying their hardest to just get through things, to make things work, or they're trying to, you know, have their own ends met. There's a lot of political scheming, as is <laughs> expected in a story centered around the emperor and the court. So lots of various, uh, you know, 
ladies and children and things trying to vie for power. You also see how Japan itself societally was changing because obviously women are in power and men have now become sort of like the precious commodity that you can't if you have a boy to survive to adulthood it's very you know surprising and they're treated with kick gloves and that's why in the story it is centered around the inner chamber which is basically the harem of the emperor so rather than being a bunch of young women for a male emperor these are a bunch of young men for a female emperor and a lot of families send their son to the inner chambers because they are paid a wage basically and they can send that to the family it's it's a guarantee that their son will be safe that it's a stable job and they'll have it for the the entirety of their life pretty much and if they manage to gain the good graces of the emperor if they manage to follow their child say then they will obviously be in a better position and will be set for life um it's a really 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 good series uh, i love the there's a particular arc between volumes i'd say seven to ten which is in relation to the beginning of acceptance of Hollander medicine. So when the Dutch came into Japan and were teaching the Japanese, yes, you, you know, this is Chinese medicine doesn't know anything about the body. Here's medicine and here's knowledge from the world that we know. And Japan's like, oh my goodness, this is this is not like anything we've known before. Because obviously this the whole premise of the story is set up on the idea that there's a pox that affects men. Um, yeah. it's, it's the idea with the Hollander medicine, it's the development of a vaccine because you know Western medicine had that. They knew what caused diseases and how to sort of prevent them from killing everyone. Um, and so that part of the story is that development of that vaccine and how it was being distributed and the people behind it and those the two people who are the focus of that particular arc are my favorite and I love them so so much and <laughs> at at the end of that story volume 10 volume 10 made me cry so I mean I've I've said I've cried at two of these series so far but I am <laughs> a big wuss but oh my goodness if it is I can't say it's necessarily the easiest story to get into because the way that Viz has decided to translate it is with very old Englishy type of dialogue. Yeah. But And it's very shaky too. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it, it, it does once you've read like probably the first volume, once you get into it, once you like figure out what they're going for, I find it does get easier and easier to read it's not one that is you know it's it's not perfect but you can understand why they made, made that choice and it is very effective how they've managed to do that even if it does take the audience a little bit to get into it i i it as i said this is sort of <laughs> arbitrary because i love all of yoshinaga's works all of her stuff i mean her other ongoing work what did he eat yesterday is completely different um, but I love it just as much. Uh, I love Antique Bakery. I love Flower of Life. I love all of her various one-shots, even her BL stuff. Um, there's not a huge amount of her work that I dislike. 
And again, it's just because how well she can write characters, how emotive her artwork is as well. She has a fairly simple art style, but it draws your attention that much more to how the minutia of expression can change that it is very effective. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm just a big yeah. fangirl. So. <laughs> I also like Yoshinaga a lot, but Ooku is one of the biggest shame spots on my CBR. <laughs> uh, my library in college, I think, had the first three volumes, so mm. I've read that much. <laughs> Every time I see it used, it's like retail price, and I'm uh. like, I'm not buying it! <laughs> <laughs> so it's like forever like on my list to get, and then I never end up getting it because I mm-hmm. haven't found it for the right price yet. But, um... Yeah, I loved those first three volumes. The second one, I think, is the one with the monk. Yeah. And I remember crying at that story. Yeah. (laughs) There's a Um, lot of crying moments in the series. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely one for me to look forward to. Just like Descending Stories. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts on some of her other works, if not Oku in particular? Yeah, so I'm a big... I like foodie manga, Mm. (laughs) Um, I'm a big fan of hers in particular so my favorite Yoshinaga series is What Did You Eat Yesterday Mm -hmm. I just can't get enough of it I love it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually just started the drama the other night is it good? I'm sure it is I only watched the first episode so far but I do really like the two main actors and Mm -hmm. I like They've got her sense of humor, like, down. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, yeah. I don't know. Her her sense of humor just, like, cuts like a knife, and I love it. <laughs> the food looks delicious, which is, you know, very important. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, watching more of that. I just love how that series handled, I, I think... You know, it's not controversial to say it's one of the best uh, series with LGBT protagonists coming out right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is about, I think they're like 40, 45. Uh, currently, currently in the manga, they're, uh, Shiro's in his 50s, early 50s. And I think yeah. Kenji has just turned 50. So majority of the manga, yeah, they're in yeah. their 40s. I think this first episode, they said they were forty. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they are a well-established gay couple who have been together for quite a few years. (laughs) And it's really nice just seeing them being cute and domestic together. (laughs) One of them's a lawyer who's not out at work, and one of them is a hairdresser who is out at work. The lawyer really loves cooking, so basically every chapter is just framed around what he makes the both of them for dinner um and you get a detailed recipe to go with <laughs> so um, you can make it yourself if you're good in the kitchen which i'm not but i can <laughs> pretend through reading manga like this <laughs> if i was gonna try something from a foodie manga it would be from like sweetness and lightning yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a hamburg steak I can make that. <laughs> whatever, like, foie gras, with, like, whatever that they make in What Did You Eat Yesterday? I'm like, nope. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about 
what did you eat yesterday and that I really appreciate us I mean obviously the uh, the fact that it's a well-established long-term gay relationship that there is like this inherent domesticity to the series that's fantastic the recipes are also wonderful but I really like how Shiro although he does you know as the chef um (laughs) although he does appreciate very good food he's also very frugal so a lot of his stuff that he makes he's trying to make the best type of food he can without spending a huge amount of money yeah and and it, it makes it a lot more approachable for people who are in a similar situation where they're cooking for themselves, cooking for their family, their partner, whatever, you can have a very good meal, a, a very substantial meal, for not a huge amount of money. And if you're smart about what yeah, you yeah. use, how you cook, it can all be delicious. And, and yeah, I, I find there's a lot of really good like tips um, in terms of like shopping frugally, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to like things like fresh vegetables and produce and... Um, meats and fish there's a lot of like tips about like you know this is another series i have back in america so like my most recent (laughs) exposure to the series was through this drama episode Mm -hmm. and it was just like you know seeing his method of going to different shops for different types of items being very familiar with their weekly sales Mm -hmm. waiting for you know, he goes on his way home from work, but it's like, you know, he waits for them to put the stickers on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the discount stickers. Um, the discount stickers. <laughs> That's a real thing here, by the way. I gotta tell you, <laughs> the discount sticker lady is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, they balance each other well, because this, this episode had um, him, like, pinching pennies to make this meal, and then, you know, he totally blows up at... Uh, Kenji when he walks home and he's like did you really go to the convenience store and buy that stupid dog and dog ice cream again like but they don't have this flavor at the supermarket I'm just treating myself and it's okay we can afford it it's like no we have a budget we don't have any savings <laughs> but then in the end they end up you know eating the ice cream together on the couch anyway and it's very sweet <laughs> and that I think perfectly encapsulates what the series is because not only is it good meals, cooking food, really interesting characters, but the idea of at least for me, like my experience has always been as a family or as a unit like partners or whatever, you do at meal times it's when you have that option to catch up, when you get together and share time together. Yeah. And it's a very important part of, I think, most families' routines, especially for both of them. They're both working adults. They don't have a huge amount of time during the day that when they can sit down for a meal, uh, whether that be dinner or lunch on a day off or whatever, it does give them that opportunity to, you know, check in with each other and, and grow and, you know, talk to each other. It's, it's really nice yeah. having that aspect um, in a manga, and you don't you don't see that very often, sort of yeah. in general. <laughs> and that's something I think you see across Yoshinaga's mm-hmm. like more food centric manga, whether it's this, which is obviously the longest one she's done, or Antique Bakery, or um, Not Love but Delicious Foods Make Me So Happy, which is still the best title <laughs> I've ever come across. 
<laughs> the new mom eats that guy. What is it? What's it called? Uh, do you love do you your love mom your, with her two hit and attacks? Her, and her two hit multi target yeah. attacks. That's a pretty good title to me. But I think Yoshinaga still got her beat. Yeah. His, what? Whatever. That thing. Yeah. <laughs> like that one as well, just seeing the fact that she chose to like write her autobiographical manga in the context of like the food that she eats yeah. in Tokyo. Yeah. I think says so much about her philosophy about food and how it brings people together. Yeah, a restaurant guide for the discerning. Uh, just hit up all her favorite places. Yep. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love that one too. Yeah. That's another favorite. Uh, they're all good. Everything's good. If you haven't read any of her books, please try them. They're all so good. You don't even have to read her BL if you don't want to, but even her BL, 99% of it is great. It's, yeah, I I can never recommend Yoshinaga highly enough to, to people. Yes. <laughs> and with that, I think we should move on to number two. Um, your number okay. two. My number two. My number one and my number two. I always talk about as being my number one and my number two. So uh, anybody who watches my channel or follows me on Twitter or anything uh, already knows what they are. But that's okay. <laughs> Any excuse I can get to gush about them well, is just great. That's why we're here. You know, that's, that's the aim of the game. So number two for me is just like. For you, Oku and Fumi Yoshinaga, this is sort of representative of the creator as a whole, mm -hmm. all of her stuff, but this is my favorite of her works. But really, you can slot all of the stuff I've read from her, like, in here, in between number two and three. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> this is uh, The Heart of Thomas by Moto Hagio. Mm -hmm. This is also representative of my deep abiding passion for... <laughs> Uh, sparkly, beautiful, over-the-top 70s shoujo manga. So excited to see those Rose of Versailles covers. Oh, so beautiful. Just made my <laughs> week. <laughs> and with Poclan coming out soon, it's going to be a good year. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> my heart. <laughs> my shoujo-loving heart. My God, you can say you love shoujo manga, but until you've read shoujo manga from the 70s, <laughs> man, you don't know what shoujo can be. It's like, just like, punching you in the face over and over. <laughs> shoujo. <laughs> just the pure, raw emotionality of it is incredible. It certainly is incomparable to anything else, now or then. Yeah, it's, uh... So, The Heart of Thomas is out of print uh, from Fanagraphics, but it's the kind of out of print where one day it'll be $200 and the next day it'll be 5 So, see if you can catch it on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and you might just find it for a good price. Yeah, put on the, um, um, the, price, the price trackers or the alerts yeah. so you can get a good deal. Let it... <laughs> let the internet tell you... <laughs> When to buy The Heart of Thomas. It is periodically really cheap. <laughs> I don't know why. But um, this is the story of the suicide of a boy named Thomas Werner in a early 20th century German boarding school setting. This boy named Thomas takes his own life 
and before doing so, he sends a letter to his upperclassman, the prefect, Yuli, and the letter says, uh, Dear Yuli, this is my heart. This is the this is my love. This is the sound of my heart. Surely you must understand. So Yuli reads this letter and immediately realizes that Thomas's death was a suicide and basically has to deal with the fallout of that and figuring out why on earth this kid essentially took his own life for Yuli's sake. And it's also a mystery surrounding Yuli himself. He, he's a very cold and distant person, and a lot of the story is figuring out why he became that way. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just describing what it's about does not describe the experience of reading this series at all. Mm -hmm. The thing about 70s shoujo manga, and in particular the works of the Year 24 group, who, I don't know, maybe we should do a show on them or something. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, with, with but, Versailles um, coming out, we definitely should. Yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's um, planned for the future. It's, it's set in stone. We, we gotta do it. Ray just over here, like, suddenly, like, spontaneously combusts. Yeah, so the Year 24 group is a group of female mangaka in the 70s who sort of revolutionized shoujo manga and how it was made, and the types of stories that were told in it. And how and, it was perceived uh, as well. It just... How it was perceived. Um, they're definitely sort of the precursors to Jose manga mm. as well. They, The first sex scene ever to be portrayed in a shoujo manga was actually Taze Toki no Uta, mm -hmm. and it's between two boys. Fun fact. <laughs> there's like so much cool history to just like shoujo culture and shoujo novels turning into shoujo manga and like their relationship to queerness and girlhood and this is all the crap I wrote my thesis about but... yeah there's a lot um... I mean obviously it's <laughs> something both you and I are very passionate about for anyone listening there's a lot of very good academic literature on all of this stuff readily available it's, yes. it's a really really interesting topic and even if you're not really a fan of shoujo manga uh, especially modern shoujo manga you should still be aware of this because it they establish so many things that are just part of manga now that yeah. you need to know like if you're a fan i i think it's important that you understand the history of what you're reading enjoying um because a lot of it does come from sh shoujo manga and especially the year 24 group they're just incredible women yeah. yes <laughs> uh as well as their editor yeah uh, junya yamamoto who is uh not a woman but still a pretty incredible figure in the history of shoujo manga. The thing about especially Year 24 works from the 70s, but really any shoujo manga from that era is just the way that it just sweeps you off your feet yeah. when you read it. The Year 24 group definitely were very experimental with their usage of panels mm -hmm. um, and layouts. So whereas a shonen manga really needs to portray 
above all the sequence of an action. And so therefore we'll often use, you know, these very sort of standard boxed panels to be like, okay, this happened and then this happened and, <laughs> and then, then he, this happened. Then he punched the guy and then sure. the guy fell over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, or, you know, the, the cops were interrogating this guy and then the guy answered. Mm -hmm. But shoujo manga, if you sit back and think about what shoujo manga is typically trying to accomplish, I think a lot of those creators realized that that wasn't the number one priority. Mm. And you can read this in a lot of Hagio and Keiko Takemiya interviews. Uh, but the priority in shoujo manga, more often than not, is to convey the psychological states and emotions of the characters mm -hmm. above all else. And the Year 24 group took this to its extreme. Um, <laughs> they often completely forego panel borders at all, or they change them into these crazy shapes. There'll be, there's this thing Takemiya always does. You see this in Swan as well, mm -hmm. is really known for this. Like, showing the entire arc of emotion in this almost Zoetrope-like yeah. effect, where it goes from the beginning of the motion to the end, instead of just, like, the beginning of the motion and then the action shot where, you know, the fist is completely out, like, punching the uh. guy. <laughs> instead, choosing to just, like, straight-up draw the entire thing. <laughs> like a string of paper dolls yeah um and i think that almost like of course in swan it has the effect of portraying the beauty and grace of ballet but uh when hagio or takemiya does it i find that it conveys this sense of dramatic slow motion mm -hmm. which is really cool that they can <laughs> do that like in a book <laughs> in a drawing that's really neat <laughs> And there's, uh, Hagio is, like, she's really big on, like, surrealism and these weird extended metaphors. And I think if you read Zanko Punakamigashi Haisuru from the 80s or Otherworld Barbara from the 2000s, that's, those are two series where she, like, just, like, dives head <laughs> on just, like, complicated-ass extended <laughs> metaphors. But The Heart of Thomas is almost like a fledgling work in mm -hmm. that term where there'll be a couple like dream sequences there's one in particular where yuli is dreaming of thomas jumping off the bridge onto the railroad tracks and he lands in yuli's arms and explodes into roses which is just a beautiful mm -hmm. beautiful image but for the most part the surrealism comes into the story i think just through the way the story is told we never really know like I guess we know Oscar's family situation, mm -hmm. Eric's a little bit, but it's like this school exists almost in another plane. Yeah, it's a little pocket, um, a little bubble that's just self-contained that, you know, all of this is happening in that the really the outside world yeah. doesn't play into it until a little bit later. Yeah, and it's very, that itself is very surreal. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're reading a dream. Oh, it's so beautiful, <laughs> and it's so unlike anything else. I think you should read every book by Moto Hagio. Yep. And I think you should read this one, too. Yeah, hunt, hunt them <laughs> down. She does have quite a few works 
not necessarily readily available. Ray obviously mentioned that this particular book is quite hard to find. I have a copy. Um, I've helped other people find copies because it is something that people want, but I don't. Yeah. It is a Fantagraphics book, so it's on the pricier end. It's beautiful for yeah. what it is. It's absolutely worth the money. But I think that scares off mm-hmm. people who aren't familiar with Hagia's work. That and the fact that it is proto-BL. Yeah. Um, all of the characters are male, with the exception of some mother figures mm-hmm. who, like, they're more metaphorical. Than <laughs> uh, which I'm going to go ahead and say that that does not change through Hagia's <laughs> work. She's got issues with moms. because she's got issues with her mom but if you haven't read or if you have read heart of thomas track down otherworld barbara that's also been put out by fantagraphics books that's currently in print it's wonderful we mentioned the poe clan that is coming up um from fantagraphics and really exciting is from the 70s it's just as beautiful and sparkly and Kira Kira <laughs> as the Heart of Thomas, and yes. it's about vampires. Yes. So that's exciting. <laughs> one of Ray's largest biases, one of the things she absolutely looks um, for. Yep. She's also had a <laughs> she's also had a couple things put out a long time ago, back in the nineties, by Viz. A A Prime is yes. is um hard to find, but you if there are copies floating around there. The even more hard to find one is the anthology that she was part of, which was Four Shoujo Stories, which contains one of her yes. better, like one of my favorite ones of her one shots, which is They Were Eleven. Um, that is yep. very hard and to find. <laughs> so I do hope we that find series, a... <laughs> I do not actually own Four Shoujo Stories, mm-hmm. but I do own that particular story in singles. Mm-hmm. So if you are having trouble finding the elusive, uh, kind of illegally published <laughs> shoujo stories. stories. Try tracking down the singles. They're still difficult to find, but they're a little easier to find than that book. Yes, and if you are absolutely... Des- There's also um, her her collection of stories and other Fantagraphics books, The Drunken Dream and Other Stories, or A Drunken Dream and Other Stories. Um, that one- Which is also great. It's also great. <laughs> also... Out of print, I believe. I don't know. I I think that one's gone yes. in and out of print for a little bit, but I That's think it's... That's another one that is, like, it doesn't vary as wildly as the <laughs> Thomas tends to, but, like, on a bad day, you'll find it for 100 bucks, and on a good day, you'll find it for 20 so... Yeah. And... I would recommend just, like, keeping your shop taggers or whatever <laughs> on it and just being persistent. Yeah, and that one that one's worth buying even just for Iguana Girl and Half Hanshin Half God. Um, but it is a collection yes. of different different stories. They're all fantastic throughout her the entirety of her career. You know, from the beginning all the way up until what was then current, which was about two thousand eight ish. And if you're really desperate, and if you're a fan of the Parasite franchise, she does have a one shot in the Neo Parasite. M anthology. It's the first one in that it book. Is, it is the best one in that book. It is the best. <laughs> it's the best story in that book by a country fucking <laughs> It is not, it is so so good and I own both those anthologies. I do not own Parasite anymore. It's fine. I like it, but those 
the I'm like I'm more interested in what other people do with the world of Parasite than I am in Parasite. Yeah, absolutely. No, it... <laughs> <laughs> and um, she I is she, I think there's one or two female creators in that one, but near Parasite F is entirely female creators. Um, and that that has some great you know great mangaka in there as yeah. well. No Hagio, but M, but check it out. But M does M is worth it for Hagio, yes. but F is I think the better of the two anthologies. Yes, yes. In terms of consistency, they're both kind of hit or miss. But like M has some stories that like made me want to throw the book into a fire. So. <laughs> the, the one by the prison school guy and oh what was the other one? I can't remember. It's been a while since I And then Hiromashima just like puts his own stupid fairy tale characters in yeah. Parasite. Like, yeah. How full of yourself are you? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, yes. But Hagio, great. She's great in that book. She's great in all of her books. I do hope we see more of her stuff come out probably it will come this out this year yeah this year is the 50th uh anniversary of her manga career so we are getting all kinds of new releases in japan Yay! of her stuff so one can hope that maybe uh <laughs> local hero rachel thorne mm-hmm. can wrestle a couple of those into english availability we'll see yeah she is amazing hopefully if Clan does well. Guys, please buy it. Please. Please, please support it. Please, 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 please. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see more of her work. And not just her work, but more 24 group work because um, there really I want... there's so much, so much to enjoy. Buy the Rose of Versailles too. Yes! Please! <laughs> please, oh my god. It's been... Just like, I want Takemiya back in print. Yes. I want Yumiko Oshima in English. Mm-hmm. I want Yoko Yamagishi in English. Mm-hmm. I want you all to please buy classic shoujo and share the love. <laughs> it's my deepest wish. <laughs> and with that, anyway. I think I'll, I'll <laughs> head into my number two, which is also a shoujo manga, a lot more recent mm. than um, <laughs> Heart of Thomas, but no less beloved by myself and I would say probably you as well, right? And that is Natsume's Book of Friends. Um, yeah, this is by Yukimi Dorokawa. It's an ongoing series and again uh, you'll see a lot of similar themes, crossovers. I have very particular tastes amongst my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a trend going on here but this is the story of a teenage boy uh, Natsume Takashi who can see yokai, can see spirits, ayakashi, whatever you want to call them. And so he can see them, other people can't, and this has left him to be bounced between various families throughout his childhood. He was orphaned at a very young age, and so all of his relatives who took him in didn't really understand him because he'd react to nothing. They think he'd be... Uh, acting out wanting attention misbehaving and so they just didn't want him and so unfortunately this poor boy who is the sweetest child um has been very systematically abused by a lot of various family members um both near and distant everyone he's gone through every relative he has pretty much uh but he's found himself now living with a couple 
called the Fujiwaras in the country, very uh, different to where he's been previously. Uh, generally, all of his homes have been in the city, and he's never really reacted well to the yokai who would interact with him there. He didn't really understand them. And so now he's living in the country with the Fujiwaras, who are just wonderful people, absolutely accepting of him and willing to give him the space he needs to sort himself out, to figure himself out, and to heal and to grow. Amidst all of this, he goes through all of the things that he has been left by his maternal grandmother. Um, she died also very young, but he finds out that she was also able to see spirits. So he has this connection to her through just that, but she leaves him this item, this book called the Book of Friends, which is full of various yokai's names. And within this area that he's now living in, that she previously lived there as well. Um, so a lot of the yokai names are from that area. So a lot of the yokai come to try and get their names back, or they want to steal the book so they can have the power over the names in that book. And it's such a wonderful series. This is one that I can recommend for anyone to read, whether you're nine years old or 99 years old. It really has a very broad general appeal. It's a very emotionally genuine. And although it is like with Mushishi, it is quite episodic. Each chapter is fairly self-contained. There is also this overarching growth of the character. The anime for this is fantastic. Again, another one where I was introduced to it through the anime first. Um, but at 22 volumes currently, it just continues to be consistently fantastic throughout the entirety of it. The way you can read the story can be... It's really interesting to see how Natsume not only builds relationships with the people in his life, the Fujiwaras, his friends and classmates, and also people from his past, but also how he's interacting with yokai and starting to build a proper relationship and a proper understanding with them as well. His companion, his loyal bodyguard, Nyanko Sensei, is wonderful and just the perfect type of comedic relief that the story needs, but it also gives Natsume sort of a, I guess, almost father figure or older brother figure who does look after him, and you can tell how much both of them rely on each other and care about each other. Um, the obviously like with a lot of stories about being able to see yokai and spirits and because of Natsume being bounced around between different houses in his childhood being fostered by different people there's this element of how people treat children in similar situations kids who do act out or don't behave the way they expect kids who are in bad situations who may be suffering from mental health issues or may just have a bad upbringing and how a lot of people don't have the patience to embrace that and to provide like support and stability that those people need, which is really what, you know, Natsume has always wanted. He's always been looking for love, for friendship, for ex acceptance. And it's mm -hmm. only now when he's, you know, 16, 17, that he's found it in this new town with his new family, with his new friends. It's also nice in this particular series that he does have friends who are just 
normal humans who just see him as a normal person, don't know anything about his yokai life, but then he also has friends who do know about that aspect of him and are okay with it and want to support him in that. And so he's getting validation for the first time from all sides. It's really 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 wonderful again with this character you see although there's less passage of time as it were in this story there's still a clear change in natsume of the beginning to natsume of current day if you watch the anime season one episode one natsume is an entirely almost entirely different being to season four episode 12 there's so much character growth that goes on with him and how much he's changed and how much he's been able to forgive himself and accept parts of himself as well. It's just masterfully done. And yeah, yeah. again, this is one that I recommend to a lot of people. It's a shoujo that has very broad appeal. It doesn't have any romance. So if you're not a fan of romance, but you're wanting to try shoujo, try this one. There is so much good in this story. And again, nobody I know who has tried it has disliked it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, I love Natsume too. <laughs> I think it's Iyashike, like healing genre, mm -hmm. like in the truest sense. I have cried so many cathartic tears <laughs> watching this. Yeah. Not even, like, I cry for the sad stories, too, mm -hmm. but, like, I cry for the happy stories, too. <laughs> this series, it just, there's so much hope and so much just emphasis on the importance of human connection and respecting and empathizing with other people mm -hmm. um, who are different from you, which, you know, is something that I've been finding myself wanting to read about mm -hmm. more and more lately. <laughs> it's like a rainy day, like clearing away. And empathy is such an important, it's such an important thing to have. It's such an important characteristic and such an important thing to keep in mind when you are interacting with other people. Like I, I think unfortunately for a lot of people, they don't see kindness and empathy and acceptance as traits that you want to inherently have or to project or to give. It, it's more so this idea of trying to, you know, be cool. I'm a badass or I can do this and I don't care about other people. And that, I mean, that's maybe inherently cynical of me, but we do need more and more media that portrays that. It's very hard not to feel an emotional connection to a character like Natsume, who is so yeah. genuine. And I think, like, especially in his, um, in his interactions with the exorcists, mm -hmm. um, totally. we really see, like, how much his sense of empathy is his strength. Mm. The fact that a character like Nathori would just be like, you shouldn't get close to yokai, you should just kill them. And then Natsume is like, No, I don't want to. But he's, but he's sad. <laughs> he's my friend now. <laughs> How could you even say that? Uh. Yeah, like so often, like 
so many of these yokai have been so hurt by his grandmother Mm -hmm. who was hurting them because you know she in turn was being hurt by others yeah she was wanting to build Um, connections with anybody who would yeah who would accept her and who wouldn't be afraid of her and like because she only knew like toxic relationships Mm -hmm. she ended up being toxic towards the yokai in her life as well Mm -hmm. uh and there's some stuff about cycles of abuse in there so many of these yokai like reach out to natsume feeling hurt like a lot of times they confuse him for reiko Mm -hmm. uh his grandmother and lash out at him but it's through him just being like okay let's sit down and i'll listen that he's able to actually help them and heal them yeah. and come out of it alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a plus. If you can get out of a situation alive. A I love the yokai. They're so <laughs> childlike yeah. in a way that's truly charming. Like, not cloying at all. It just it feels very much like a kid on the playground who just needs a friend. Yeah, there's a, there's um, a simple straightforwardness to the yokai that I think helps Natsume be able to attach himself to them more readily because they don't, very often they don't have any other schemes. They're not trying to do much outside of what they say. Or they're, if they are, they're very obvious about it and you're not going to get tricked by it. They're very direct and they are, like you said, very childlike in that they just want, they want what they want to happen to happen like that's that's all <laughs> they don't care about anything else they just want their name back or they want their bell or they want him to help them yeah. find a, a feather or whatever that's all they need and that's they're happy this this, <laughs> this person has been coming to see me at this bus stop every day for the last 20 years and suddenly they just stopped coming so I've just come here every day but I don't know what's happened to them (laughs) that's the one that got my friends oh god (laughs) when I showed them the show they were bawling by the end of that Oh, man, there are some rough episodes, rough chapters in Natsume. I am currently doing a like manga challenge on Instagram, and one of the daily challenges was a backstory that hit you hardest. And my my choice is Natsume because honestly, it's never outright said what's happened to him, but what isn't implied. And what is alluded to is very obvious. The fact that in middle school, he didn't have, couldn't get a haircut or wouldn't have a haircut. The fact that when Mm. he had problems at school, the people who'd pick him up would be yelling and shouting and smelling like smoke and just not even, you know, interacting with him. And he'd just be standing there quiet, looking at the ground. The fact that, you know, it went, oh, oh. There is an ep- <laughs> there's an episode slash chapter when he's going back to his childhood home and he Yeah yeah he before that he <laughs> Oh god. Um but before that he runs into a family who had previously homed him and they they're very welcoming to him and they're they're quite ready to have him back. They're like, We understand, you know, you had troubles and we're sorry that it didn't work out. They weren't you know, necessarily the worst of 
the people he stayed with. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in there where, because he he goes missing for a period of time, and then once he's brought back to the house, the girl, his cousin or whatever, who he's living with, she's like, just go back home, you don't belong here, my parents care more about you, that's not fair, blah blah blah. And he runs away, runs, you know, runs out of the garden to, and just calling for his dad, calling for someone he knows won't be able to respond. And that's just, I'm like already getting choked up. It's so sad. (laughs) Oh my God. And now for the Instagram challenge, I was looking for that, but I couldn't find it because the chapters are a bit like, oh, you just got to try and find something. But I found the chapter where the Fujiwaras bring Natsume or meet Natsume for the first time and bring him home to them from Toko's perspective. And it's just so incredibly powerful to be able to see that element of both of them, both the Fujiwaras and both Natsume finding each other because they really were in the perfect situation for each other, able to provide the things that they themselves were missing. It's, ugh, ugh, ugh. I love that the Fujiwaras are willing to meet him where he is. Yes, yes. Like, that's so important. They know that there's something going on with him that he's not ready to tell them yet, and they don't pressure him. They just are kind Mm -hmm. and are like, if there's ever anything you need to tell us, you can. And let him open up to them at his own and pace. It's re- and I think that's so important. Yeah, it's really a show of trust. I Not so I never had that before. People didn't trust him. They assumed he was a bad kid. They assumed he was acting out. And they assumed he was just trouble. So a lot of people wouldn't trust a kid like that. And the fact that he is... Yeah. I mean, the Fujiwaras is like... One day he just brings home the obvious fucking cat on the entire planet, and they're okay, like, "Okay, we have a cat cool, now. We have a cat now." <laughs> I would be like, "Where did you find that thing?" Okay, it's okay. You that can cursed entity. Yeah, Yanko Sensei is so good. He's so good. If anyone tries to tell you that. There's another anime mascot character that's better than him. They're they are wrong. absolutely wrong. <laughs> or they haven't watched Natsume. He is the best. He is peak mascot. Uh, I, I have a Nyanko plush. One of my best friends gave me. Um, and he just... I love him so much. He has pride of place on the top of my shelves. He watches over me all. It's also... a a plush with the snow bunny on the head so it like makes me even sadder i'm like oh no that episode (laughs) mine has um i liked it because it took me so long i had to find like the perfect nyanko Uh plush (laughs) um and i had to find it for a price that wasn't like 40 dollars you know yeah yeah. (laughs) so i found one at like this like, hole-in-the-wall, like, used anime goods shop in Osaka, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was a pain hauling it home, but (laughs) it was worth it. Uh, Because it was, instead of his anime design, it was actually his manga design, which I thought was cool. And then it has him wearing, like, a little kimono, um, like, over his shoulders. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I thought that that matched perfectly with uh, my Natsume figure, <laughs> which has him in a special kimono. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy endings to anime good treasure. That's hunt. the good thing about Natsume as well, though, because it is very popular in Japan. Not so much in the mm-hmm. West, but out in Japan, it's very popular. So it has so it has popular. six anime seasons plus OVAs plus a film that came out. It has a bunch of merch, always merch coming out. Yes, and so if if you've ever wanted anything with Nyanko Sensei's face on it, you can it. get it. It's available. You can get it. They made a teapot. That was really cute. <laughs> What's cool about it, too, is that, like, every class I've been in, if I say I like Natsume Yuji, mm-hmm. there are always kids who are like, oh, I like that, too. Like, from elementary school first grade mm-hmm. to middle school third grade, mm-hmm. I've, like, every single class no matter the age of the kids has there have been kids in that class who are like i love natsume so. <laughs> yeah i it's for everyone my mother um she doesn't watch too much anime <laughs> but she's seen natsume and it's probably her favorite she just loves that show so much and i knew she would because it's the type of thing she enjoys and it's the type that you can show your grandma and say grandma I know, because your grandma's like, I've heard you like those Chinese cartoons. And you're like, yeah, grandma, do you want to watch one? And you can show her this, and it's not going to be too weird or too violent or too sexual. It's just perfect. Uh, my grandma's too <laughs> What is this witchcraft? <laughs> All right. Number one. So, number one. Drum roll. <laughs> it's Fruits Basket. <laughs> it was always going to be Fruits Basket. Uh, there is nothing in my life other than Fruits Basket. <laughs> yeah, so uh, with the new anime, my Twitter is basically just a Fruits Basket page <laughs> at this point. I only talk about Fruits Basket, and I only ever want to talk about Fruits Basket. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I've told this story before in various videos, but this was my first manga, not counting, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was really mm-hmm. little. Even though it was, like, written from right to left, I just thought that Yu-Gi-Oh! was, like, a special ty- kind of comic book. <laughs> if you read from right to left, I didn't consciously know that it was from Japan, so it doesn't really count, I don't think. Um... <laughs> Yeah, like, the first manga that I knew was manga Mm -hmm. that I read was Fruits Basket and Plus Anima, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a fine little series. solid little shonen. Is that shonen? I think so. Yeah, Yeah. it's very cute. It's, uh, it's about a little crow boy. Yeah. It's kind of like like a a weird Animorphs-esque type of series. (laughs) I was gonna say Animorphs. I didn't want to, but I didn't say it. She said it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cute. But needless to say, it did not stick with me the way that Fruits Basket mm-hmm. did. Fruits Basket came to me during a very dark time in my life. Um, I think that middle school is hard for anybody. But I was going through some stuff, um, and I think it's fair to say that uh, Fruits Basket and particularly the character arc of one of the main characters, Yuki, saved my life. Like, 
I don't know if I would be here without Fruits Basket. So there's no way that it would not be number mm-hmm. one on my list. And the Heart of Thomas, I have a similarly personal connection to, but yeah, it's like that's why those are like cemented in spot number one and number two. And then the other three are just like, let's just slot in any of my children. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but these two are like, no, this is, these are my two favorite ones because I have very strong personal ties to them. Mm-hmm. But Fruits Basket, I think, like, honestly, every time I read it, it just gets better. Yeah. I think it's just a very, very well put together series. It's incredible that it exists because it's like I've read Takaya's stuff. I haven't finished Twinkle Stars, so uh, that's another one that's in my <laughs> Yeah, I need to read that. American <laughs> collection i need to read that one too <laughs> it's uh it's up there i'm wanting uh, to finish it so i can't give my opinions on twinkle stars but i like lease a lot i liked the first episode or the first uh two volumes mm-hmm. of twinkle stars and then i don't like anything that she's done before Fruits Basket. <laughs> i don't like those with wings i don't like phantom dream mm. to me they're just mediocre shoujo from the 90s yeah it's so weird to see her just so suddenly and so completely find her footing in Fruits Basket (laughs) and just like make this thing that's just like a masterpiece and then say in interviews like I don't think I'm ever going to make anything that good ever again (laughs) you know what you're probably right (laughs) like I, I I like Lisa a lot a lot I think it's cute but it's like Fruits Basket is it Honestly, (laughs) that's your magnum opus. That's your heart and soul right there. You did it. (laughs) It's such a weird phenomenon of a series. If you don't know the plot of the series, it's about a girl named Toru Honda who is being raised by a single mother. And when her mother dies in a car crash, she decides... Well, she moves in with her grandfather, and then when her grandfather is going to renovate the house or something, he's like, can you go stay with a friend for a few months? And instead of imposing on one of her literally two friends, (laughs) Toru, bless her heart, uh, decides (laughs) that she is going to be on her own one day, so it may as well start from today. So she buys a tent at the discount store and goes to live alone in the woods. Um, Always the first choice. In the outskirts of Tokyo. (laughs) And one day when she's exploring the area around her tent, she comes across a house and learns that this forest she's been trespassing on is in fact private property (laughs) owned by a huge local estate, the Soma family. Um, And particularly owned by Shigure Soma, who is the cousin of the most popular boy in school, (laughs) Yuki. (laughs) And various things happen. They find out that she's living in a tent in their woods. And they're like, look, (laughs) you can stay in our place. (laughs) We've got a spare room. Please don't do this to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and she ends up living with Shigure, Yuki, and 
uh, hot-tempered third member of the family, Kyo, who literally crashes into the house <laughs> at a point early in the series. And in doing so, she learns that the Soma family has a terrible secret. Certain members of the Soma family are possessed by the spirits of the Chinese Zodiac. And when hugged by a person of the opposite sex, or when their bodies become weak or sick, they transform into their animal. So Yuki is the rat, Shigure is the dog, and Kyo is the cat who was left out of the Zodiac. That sounds like a really wacky premise, but it gets it, it gets deep from there man yeah yep. <laughs> it's all about abusive family dynamics it's sort of a brutal takedown of the japanese patriarchal family system mm -hmm. and the japanese mm -hmm. nuclear family it's about found family and how the people who really love you and who are really there for you are your real family you know, mm -hmm. the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb and all yep. that. And the curse, of course, leads to a lot of wacky encounters with cute baby animals. <laughs> but more than anything, it's a metaphor for family. It's a metaphor for her adolescence. It's a metaphor for everything that holds kids back from becoming everything that they were always meant mm -hmm. to be. And... It's a beautiful story about coming of age and coming into yourself despite all the forces trying to stop you from doing that. And the people who help you forward and the people who pull you back. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, it was the most popular manga in America for a long time. Quite a few years back when I was in middle and high school. Mm -hmm. And for good reason. It's great. Yeah. And you should watch the new season. Buy it from Yen Press and watch the new anime. <laughs> Not so much the old anime. Though it's fine, but like comparatively it's it's, just... it's nothing. I mean <laughs> if you're big on that Akitaro Daichi <laughs> style of comedy, it's full of it. But maybe watch Kamisama Kiss instead. I think yeah. <laughs> his style fit that manga better. Or bludgeoning angels. Oh god, that show. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly was a show. Ah, <laughs> uh, goodness. So yeah, obviously, Fruits Basket hugely popular. I don't think it really needs an introduction because so many people do have nostalgia either for the manga or for the older anime. We've seen how popular it is with this new rebooted anime. And the fact that, I mean, the fact that they've gotten pretty much the entirety of the original English voice cast back for the dub, it's just iconic within a lot of fans, a lot of Western fans, a lot of people who've followed the series for a long time, who grew up with the manga either in their libraries, always toted as one of the best it's it's been a perennial favorite fans of our generation and older like myself i didn't start reading manga until i was later on in life uh, so i didn't read it when i was in middle school when i was in this position where a lot of these kids are but it i don't think you need to necessarily be in that position to enjoy this series and i think there's so much that the story provides that these characters can teach you as a reader, but each other as well, that is very important 
for individuals to hear, whether it be in childhood, whether or you know when you're a you know, preteen or early teen, or even in a, up into adulthood, there's a lot of very powerful messages about, like you said, found family of surviving parts of your life that you don't have a choice in, but you can still change, and there is hope for the future. It is, there's so much to it that, I mean, 23 volumes long, it's quite long for a shoujo, and it... And it uses every single page. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, there's no, there's nothing in there that could be cut out. If you were willing to, there's a couple Zodiac members who don't get the limelight that maybe they deserved. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you were being really strict, you could chop them out but then you don't get the whole yeah and i don't want to miss out okay (laughs) i'm gonna be real with you i'm a rooster and it the rooster doesn't show up till the very end i was like where's the rooster where's the kurino is i know but that's what i'm saying like i but i feel like that might have been a character that could have been cut out like if you were being super strict about it no 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 i feel like i think that he's he's like you can't he's crucial but i feel like i feel like because of how small a part, like, actual screen time, quote-unquote, he gets, that people could be like, oh, well, you know, you don't really need him. Because he, you could... You need him as a contrast to Toru and to Shigure. Yeah, I mean, you do, but you there's also, I mean, another character. I'm thinking more like Ritsu is kind of like... I love Ritsu, though. Ritsu's I love so... Ritsu, but he has, like, one chapter, and then he just kind of but he, goes but off on his own. But he's a cute monkey, <laughs> and I love him. He is a monkey. Oh my god, the new design. He's so cute! With his little... <laughs> His little monkey hands. (laughs) Oh my god. I can't wait for that little little monkey hand fan service. I desperately Little monkey hand, little monkey foot, little monkey nose. I just his little monkey I love it. His little monkey tail. So much. And oh the tiger little tiger paws. Little, little tiger, little, her little tiger, little, little sheep, little. Oh, I just want, I just want to kiss him and cuddle him. Oh, it's so cute. They're so cute. Ah! I'm like, to clarify, in the original manga, none of the animals are drawn with uh, toes, and um, me and G are both extremely passionate about the anime's uh, extremely important inclusion of, of baby toes. Little little animal toes. Um, in particular, Yuki's little rat toes are so important to me. He's such he's such a sassy little adorable rat. I love him. Oh, oh. He's never had little toes before. Rats, okay. Rats little like hands are the ultimate charm. They are. They actually are. They're adorable. I love rats. I mean, I don't. If they're wild rats, I don't want them in my house. But pet rats are amazing. I love yeah. them. Rodents are great. They're so cute. But like oh. rats, mice, hamsters, guinea pigs all have the most adorable little they're hands. So cute. And when they put their little hands on your hand, <laughs> that is equivalent to meeting God. <laughs> 
I <laughs> I personally have never had a rodent. My mother does not approve of rodent pets in Australia. Aww. In Australia, she likes them, but she doesn't want them to like get out and you know have babies, um. right? Because they're a pest. <laughs> Uh, and they they yeah i mean we have we have an entire prairie dog town like in my parents backyard uh-huh. and um they carry the plague uh, so i can relate yeah no we had a rat in our house earlier this year we tried so many things Oof. we tried so many things to catch it we finally killed it it, it was rat sacks so i poison and peanut butter just mixed together it uh-huh. fuck it ate everything mm-hmm. overnight like we put out six or seven oh, it just God. ate it and Oh, it God. obviously went somewhere to die. <laughs> it didn't die in the house because it doesn't smell. Uh, so I don't know where it went, where it is. Oh, Lord. But thank goodness oh, it did not die in the house. <laughs> but, oh, my God, we were chasing that rat for weeks, I swear. But <laughs> You need you need a Yuki yeah, ah, because he can talk yeah, to them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I have a – I mean, I love rats. If it was my pet, I love, I love it. But I don't want them rat wild ones in my house. No, thank you. No, no wild, wild ones. ones. I don't um, want them. It'd be fine. It'd be fine if they didn't carry disease. <laughs> or or just like... eat everything and poop everywhere and chew through wires. And poop everywhere. Oh. But it's okay. Yuki is a domesticated rat. <laughs> he's a good rat. He can control the wild ones as well. He's a good rat. He's, he's he can control the wild ones. You know, save people's <laughs> precious cargo in a landslide. With his rat friends. Speaking of speaking um, of the anime, speaking of Yuki and his design and his little rat fingers, um, episode fifteen, which was not this most current episode, but last week's episode, when he was the summer yes, house. when they're in the summer house, when he's on the branch, just like standing there with his little <laughs> hands on his hips, I was I would tr- I try <laughs> to get a screenshot of that so much because that's an iconic look i love that that's amazing oh my god yuki he's got so many iconic looks like he is he could be a drag yeah. queen with his ass. <laughs> he's like he's got a poison tongue that boy yeah what i like okay being serious mm-hmm. a little bit what i like about his development as a character because mm-hmm. like Something to know about Fruits Basket going in is that the three main characters, the personalities that you see from them at the beginning of the series are 700% coping mechanism. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Toru, Kyo, Yuki have all been through very severe trauma that we have only just started to see the barest corner <laughs> of, and they are going to have to go through a big storm. Uh, in order to become fully human, yeah. honestly. Hence the end. Oh my god, it's like it was planned. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yuki in particular, what I like about him is that at the start, a lot of people call him boring mm-hmm. because he's very <laughs> sort of generically nice. Yeah. Like he's very blandly polite to everyone he meets. And to Toru, uh, one of the big things with him is that he does not call her by her first name yeah. at all. He calls her Honda-san, Honda-san, Honda-san. Even though they live in the same goddamn <laughs> house. <laughs> um, and when she calls him by his first name for the first time, he's so surprised he turns into a rat. Um, he's got some issues with closeness. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But what I like is that as we see him sort of open the lid on his emotions and his true self more and more, um, it's not like he's a bad person, but like he's kind of a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's he's not the nicest person in the world. <laughs> like he's kind of a jerk, and I appreciate that. I, I, I like that. Like him starting out as like this perfect prince and then you get his real personality and he's like yeah, he's he, he's kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> I appreciate the realism there. It's nice. <laughs> also, as a character, um, sort of going back to the new anime as well, um, I really appreciate, I mean, we, we've talked about this privately, but I really appreciate <laughs> the casting choices. And I think that uh, Nobunaga Shimazaki <gasps> is just like the perfect choice for him. He's... Oh, he's so good. He's so good. Uh, for people who don't really follow Seiyu, she, she was, uh, or is mostly known for uh, Haruka Nanase from Free. He was yeah. also Yu-Gi-Oh! in the most recent Sword Art Online yeah. version. He's he's in a lot of stuff. Um, my I like him in a lot of stuff. But Yuki <laughs> is... I think he was such a great choice because like with Haru from Free, he's a very complicated character and a very emotional character but he does have this distance between him and a lot of the other characters and this sort of cool exterior yeah like the way that he like you know he'll nail it for the comedy and he'll nail that sort of deadpan tone yeah but it's like then you get like that one line where he like puts his whole the cracks show just a little bit puts his whole heart and soul into it yeah he's uh, again, that's why, like, going to free. Like, he's so good in that series. A lot of people, when you watch the first season especially, it's like, okay, he's just, like, the cool guy. He's just deadpan. <laughs> he doesn't really do much. He's in love with the water. He's, yeah, he's, you know, he's he's kind of like the weird, quirky dude, but he's sort of the main character. And you're like, all right, all right. And then it gets to, like, further into that series and further into the, the franchise as a whole, and you see more and more of his actual emotions pulling through and the mm-hmm. various situations between all of the characters. And there's so much that he's able to capture with his voice that uh-huh. is just incredible. There's so much nuance to a character that seems at first glance very, like, one note, very, you know, okay, I know what this guy's about. Um, it's... It, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, Kyo mm-hmm. is, is that Yuma Uchida? Am I crazy? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, Ash Lynx. Yes. <laughs> I was absolutely blown away by his performance as Ash. Yeah. So, like, the second I heard him as Kyo, I was like, that's perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyo hasn't really gotten the chance to shine yet, but y'all just wait until the end <laughs> of this season. <laughs> y'all just wait. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, he's um, he's great, and again, so much versatility with his voice, so much that can mm. be captured. He's also currently for people who follow like anime as it comes out. He's in Given. He's one of the main characters mm-hmm. in Given. Um, I think he was one of the main characters in I Want to Eat Your Pancreas as well. That film. So he's done. He all of these actors have done a lot. They're very well established. Say. And I'm glad that they were able to find people to so perfectly capture 
the character of these characters. My god, I could talk about all of them. <laughs> like, Megumi Hard. Ah! so good as Momiji. My girl, I love her. 14, was it? Yeah. She, like, you could almost hear her, like, choking up in the booth. She was doing such a good job. Like, she gets so into her roles. Mm. And you can see her, like, talking about it so passionately on Twitter after every episode. Yeah. She, um, she was gone. Yeah. If you don't know. And, so that's her big role. After after <laughs> every episode of Hunter Hunter 2011, you know, when she was yeah. gone, she would do the same thing. And you can see how much mm-hmm. her characters mean to her. And, like, when she's, she tweeted about, like, after three years of Hunter Hunter, like, every single week going to the same building, she was just like, I was just crying, uh, thinking that next week I won't go back. Yeah. It's, she's so good. I love that she's, like, I was expecting her to basically do Gon's voice mm-hmm. for Momiji, but I feel like she's found, like, she's found, like, a unique timber for him mm-hmm. that works really well. Because they are obviously very different characters. Yeah. <laughs> very. Um, it's, you know, they're both, like, cute little boy <laughs> characters but like Gon's like the shonen protagonist who's always shouting and Momiji is like this very effeminate um little half German boy so bunny rabbit little bunny <laughs> little bun <laughs> and then Takahiro Sakurai as Ayame oh he's so is good so so good so different from the approach that they took in the first anime but like just as good like he's so good <laughs> uh he's just so distinguished yeah Ayame is honestly like one of my favorite characters and he just nailed it he's just he's so good, <laughs> so good. <laughs> he's so good oh my gosh i was like at the summer house episode they were like <laughs> you know shigure is like we need someone to liven up this place i know let's call aya they're like no if you do that i will kill you and i'm like here in the audience like yeah let's, let's call aya heck yeah let's make this a party <laughs> dude he's a whole party in one person <laughs> <laughs> I get why Yuki doesn't appreciate him yeah, yet, exactly. um, because honestly, when I was Yuki's age, I didn't appreciate that kind of person either. Um, and I thought Ayame was annoying, but now I'm like, you have learned. Heck yeah, let's call Aya. <laughs> Every friend group needs one of them. You all, you all need someone like yep. that. <laughs> yep. And I love, um, I love the antics he has with Shigure as well. Just their whole banter. Every time. I love his extremely obvious crush on Hoppy. Oh, well, yeah, that as and well, I of extremely, course. extremely, extremely appreciate. Um, so we've got, okay, everyone in the cast of Fruits Basket is metatextually bisexual. <laughs> um, speaking as a bi. Um, <laughs> but there's two characters in particular who are canonically bisexual. Mm-hmm. And this series is deeply, profoundly heteronormative and cisnormative in some very annoying ways. But it's also a series that is very important to a lot of queer people that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two characters who are canonically bisexual, and they are Ayame and Haru. It's not, like, hugely important to the plot or anything. But it's still good to have. It's still nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they've really been playing up Haru's crush Yuki. on Yuki. Some good stuff um, there. Good food for me. 
especially in the voice acting. <laughs> like in the original, he'd be very deadpan, but in this one, he's like, Nanny, Nanny. nanny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> Hi, Yuki. What's up? Oh, hey. What, what's wrong? What can I help you with? Ah. What about that? And then he fixes yeah. everything. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Oh, I love fruit. That's good. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a fruit basket. I'm sure we'll get around someday. to it. I'm sure. definitely at some point. Um, and it'll just be talking about Sayu yeah. <laughs> for two hours. But uh, what is your favorite manga? My number one is maybe not a surprise. It's it's one that I have. I guess. It, a similar relationship to it as you do with Fruits Basket and that's why even though it does have flaws Mm -hmm. it really captured everything I needed at that point Mm -hmm. and it's it's just grown to be something that I've loved for the entirety of my Mm -hmm. career as a manga and anime (laughs) fan again all of these I don't think aside from Oku every single one of these I've, I've started through the anime um, and then went on to the manga. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. But my number one is Full Metal Alchemist. For people who've watched my channel for any amount of time, that shouldn't come as a surprise. I talk about it a lot. I have huge respect for Hiromu Arakawa. I adore her other current series, Silver Spoon. There's just a lot that Full Metal does as a series just fundamentally and as a shonen series that goes beyond what I ever expected and it it goes above and beyond so much of its peers within that same demographic I I would I think it would be hard pressed for people uh, to say that it isn't sort of a modern classic even if you don't inherently like it or love it it's it's something that is very very well loved it's very well done and it's one that a lot of people love and a lot of people value very highly and for good reason it's a very very good series there are problems as with all series but i do think that there's so much in it that i was needing that i think a lot of people were needing in its various iterations Mm -hmm. both the animes the manga whatever that has this universal appeal to it that has made it more so than a lot of the shonen flagships like Bleach or Naruto or even One Piece. And I mean, I I, I hate to compare series like that, especially because a lot of those series I haven't read. This one, it has such a genuine core to it and so many messages Mm -hmm. that are almost the antithesis of a lot of other shonen stories um again sort of valuing and placing importance on smaller acts of quietness within the stories of just plain kindness and hard work more valuable than like a talent or being cool or beating a thing um the amount of respect that arakawa continues to give almost if not all of her characters they're all on a fairly even playing ground no character is inherently better than others even our protagonists our protagonists are very flawed people 
And that's integral to the story. They have to be flawed and make mistakes, but still be genuinely working towards being better people and trying to fix things that, you know, you wouldn't have a story without that. I love the relationship that, you know, it focuses on siblings in a positive way because oh so too often in shonen manga we have sibling rivalries i really Mm -hmm. appreciate just how the the story is able to weave in this larger idea of you know the 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 futility of war and ptsd and the realities the human cost of giant you know being in a war zone being in a war-torn country as it were um and being in a very Mm -hmm. military focused country and how it affects the people not only that were killed and the areas that you know are directly affected but the people on both sides who were affected and it's it's not very often you see that in shonen manga this almost this discussion of ptsd um and also fundamentally for all of our main characters is this idea of survival's guilt and not only forgiving other people but forgiving yourself and like trying to work towards that and yeah like I really there's a lot of things I've said this before with um (laughs) I have a bias to female written shonen because women can write women well and Arakawa is no different. Uh, her cast of characters, of girls, of women, are wonderful, amazing, diverse, and all have their own motivations to do things outside of our protagonists, which is great. Olivia, <laughs> she is pretty incredible. Um, but just the fact that you know our main, like I guess, female love interest being Winry, the fact that she's. like a gearhead that she's an engineer and interested in Mm -hmm. medicine and you know very very smart outside of just being like oh I'm pretty and I you know I'll be be waiting (laughs) for you like she has her own life and she cares about I guess she is she is kind of like the healer yeah but but like not (laughs) she's the healer in like okay the fundamental sense but at, at the same time she's like I'm not going to wait around for you guys. I've got a career in Rush Valley. I'm doing my own thing. I got my own stuff (laughs) I want to do. If you guys want to pop in, say hi, that'll be great. Try not to get yourself killed and it'll be all good. What I like is just like the variety Mm -hmm. that you see female soldiers, you see housewives, you see like, you know, Granny Pinocchio or whatever. And then you have Winry who's like into engineering um, Hawkeye, who's like this hardened soldier. Mm. Um, Olivier, who's this like crazy <laughs> general um, who can step on me any day. <laughs> Izumi is incredible. She's definitely someone who I prefer her arc in the 2003 anime personally. Mm. But, and for me, like her character, like it overlaps, like I forget which parts are in the anime and which parts are in the manga, but Izumi's really great. Yeah. <laughs> and also, tr- I mean, Trisha, uh, their mother, Edward and Al- Alphonse's mother, is sort of this, the catalyst to this whole story. Like, it, it's heartbreaking to me that this whole thing, like, this whole star- story really started because two kids 
miss their mother. Like, they were grieving, and they didn't Mm -hmm. have that opportunity to grieve properly. And so they made a fairly childish mistake that Mm -hmm. had very serious consequences. And now, from that, you know, they actually learnt their lesson. They're not trying to do that again. Try to, oh, we failed this time, but we can still bring her back. No, they know that that's impossible. And now they're just trying to rectify their mistake and try to fix... And, and pay back the people and, and help themselves to get back to the point that they were at and to go beyond it because it's like grief is such a huge part of Full Metal like it's not inherently obvious but there's a lot of points where death and acceptance of death and moving past it and survivors you know the people you leave behind having to rationalize and deal with that is it's not done in a lot of series well. Definitely not done in a lot of shonen well, yeah. where usually someone will die and they'll be back in three volumes. It's like, oh, don't worry, I'm dead. <laughs> oh I'm not God. dead, I'm alive. Tokyo Ghoul <laughs> and its revolving door of mysterious disappearances. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a levity to Full Metal Alchemist that I think a lot of other shonen lacks. And a lot of shonen that I enjoy lacks this. But it's something that is so such an in- integral part of life. Like, as a person, as someone who's living, you will never be able to completely avoid death in your life. That's impossible. So to be able to have a story... It tells people that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be able to process this and to take the time to, you know, get through it. And if you aren't okay, you know, even years later, that's still okay. Like, it's... That's not something you you get a lot of in this type of media where, especially Shonen, it's always a big adventure and positive and we're going to be the best in the world and find the thing. And, I mean, they're still... They're trying to find a thing here, but... It's not <laughs> it's not to the same degree as like one piece or something. Well, I think there is very much a reason why people even like, you know, uh manga fans who really only consume like the most popular like one mm-hmm. piece, you know, shonen manga, uh which is just as valid mm-hmm. as any other oh, kind absolutely. of manga fan, absolutely. obviously. Uh but even those fans tend to hold Full Metal Alchemist above the rest like it's almost like something that's discussed on another Mm -hmm. level and i think that's a testament to uh just how universal and how lasting the story is even as someone who myself uh has the controversial (laughs) opinion of liking the 2003 anime better than the manga um you can skewer me in the comments (laughs) i guess but yeah, I mean, that anime wouldn't exist without the manga, and, uh, you know, with both of them there, there's a full metal alchemist for everybody. Yeah, and the, like, for me, because I am a big fan of the original anime. Like, don't get me wrong, that's what I started with. I love it. It's a smaller scale story and a much more intimate, I guess, focus on the two brothers and their struggle and those sorts of things. Yeah, and I And, like and that. it's great, like... <laughs> internal character uh stuff it, I, is my bread and butter i adore that 
Um, but I also love the grandness that, you know, the manga and the later anime does bring to it. I like how it expanded to a larger world outside of just Amestris and Rizimbul and Central. And that we did see characters from other countries. We did meet so many more different people. I enjoy it all. I see, rather than saying, like, there's one definitive one that I prefer and love i see it all as very complementary parts of a franchise i've even read the light novels <laughs> i've read like believe me i've done everything full Metal alchemist i've pretty much consumed light novels aren't great the fifth one is probably people one people know <laughs> because it comes with the manga box set the valley of white petals which is the fourth one that has some great alphonse character stuff um, but yeah, these light novels don't go into them being like, oh yeah, it's going to be like a current light novel because these are really written for middle schoolers. <laughs> like, they're very simple. They are, yeah. I tried to write, I, I tried to read through them, I think, <laughs> in high school maybe? Like, later high school, they had them, the first couple at my yeah. library and I just like couldn't. <laughs> the, fir- the first um, couple like, are Like, even rough. as someone, as someone who goes back and like periodically rereads random animorphs <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't make it through the full middle album. Yeah, the, the early ones are, the first one is probably the hardest to get through. The, it, I don't know, thir- three, four, five are very good. The fifth one is, as I said, probably the best and that's why it's in the box set. Um, and that one deals with um, cultural identity and racial identity um, in regards to the Ishvalans mm-hmm. and the Amestrans. Yeah. And it's really interesting how they do that. As I said, the fourth one is very Alphonse-focused, which I love him, so that was a plus for me. <laughs> I can't remember the third one, but I enjoyed it for what it was. But yeah, it's not like high literature. These are definitely <laughs> written for like 10 yeah. to 12 year olds, um, <laughs> which is fine. Like that's, it's fine if you know that's what you're getting. But yeah, overall, like Full Metal Alchemist did something and said something to me that was not only brought me into this whole fandom's not the right word but this whole community this whole um hobby because the anime Mm -hmm. was one of the first ones that i ever saw it was something that i could continue to go back to and still feel the same things about and to still feel like it was even though it was entertainment even though it was fun and there's funny parts to it and there's scary parts to it or whatever it still had this th- this part of it that was more at a point i was reading shonen and i, I mean i still am reading shonen <laughs> I, i'm still reading it there's i just haven't found something that spoke to me in the same way that arakawa was able to speak to me and i'm sure many people in her audience through these characters in a way that was like Full Metal Alchemist. Because there's always been stories about, you know, underdog heroes and hero's journey, having to come from humble beginnings and then being able to save the world at the end of it. I liked how, even though that's fundamentally what the story is about, that's not really what the story is about. And I really really appreciated the ending to the series and how 
well Araka was able to integrate her ending, her conclusion, what she wanted to tell and what she wanted to leave the audience with the sort of the main thesis and theme of the story even in the first chapter she introduced that and interwove it to the even the premise the inherent um physicality of our characters it's integral to the plot and you can't like if you don't know your end point if you don't know that's how you're going to end it you can't put it in the beginning so that was just such an <laughs> like one of the best examples of foreshadowing that i come across with writing because a lot of times when I read foreshadowing, like when I read novels, I've read a lot of novels in my day. And a lot of the time <laughs> I can tell, like if something's brought up, I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to end. Or like, this is important, of course. Like, I know how this is going <laughs> to end. Um, and that's not me trying to be a smartass, but I don't, I feel like a lot of people don't know how to incorporate that in a proper way and an intriguing way that like hooks your reader in but also without just like giving away everything as soon as you mention it so there was that there was as i said this these characters who although you know we have our heroes they're not these they even they don't think of themselves as heroes and that was something that was very interesting to myself and I, it made it more appealing to be reading about these characters because they do see themselves as, if not normal, then just regular people, not inherently better or worse than anyone else. Even regardless of, like, their self-perception, it's just the fact that they really do... They feel like mm -hmm. kids. They feel like a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old yeah. kid who just got sort of caught up in stuff that's way, way over their heads. <laughs> Yeah. And, like, they're amazing. Like, Edward's a genius. Alphonse is this crazy empath. But it's, like, they're, they're kids, kids. And it feels and, that way. And they struggle because of that. Sure, they have the abilities to do things other people can't. But it doesn't mean it doesn't have a toll on them. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect them. And when they're confronted mm -hmm. with that, they react in very appropriate ways to their age to their situation to their prior experience it's like no i'm not i'm an adult <laughs> okay okay shut up brat <laughs> okay small child you go sit over there um so yeah i i've said this before full Metal alchemist is absolutely a super important series to me very much one of my favorite if not my favorite series it's one that again i think most people can read if or watch the anime although that's a little bit harder now because anaplex owns the license <laughs> but i think both versions are streaming on netflix um the old one is definitely i think the newer one is too and Viz is putting out the... I mean, Viz has three million different releases of the manga, so take your pick of which one you want to collect, dependent on your budget. So there's a lot of options for Full Metal, and it's one that, like, again, you can understand why so many people love this series, why it's stayed as popular as it has. Um, it's been 10 years since the Brotherhood anime started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in high school when that was starting, which is crazy. Me too. <laughs> and 
And obviously the manga was even before that. But for a story to stay so grounded within the culture, like just the otaku culture, this Western fandom, and be so well-respected and highly regarded, obviously there's something there. And yeah, for me, it was one that was not only important for like various reasons in my life and for various things that I was searching for in media. It's just a solid show. It's one that I think a lot of people can gain a lot from. Whether it be the same things they they I got from it, it doesn't matter. There's a lot to parse out of that series. Yep. So both of our number ones go back <laughs> to our very roots as baby anime fans yes. and are very close to our hearts I think we can say yeah um and both wildly popular (laughs) (laughs) um which is kind of interesting like we go through various levels of popularity in our lists and then end up with something that is universal (laughs) and we would love to hear from you guys what your favorite manga is as well if you've ever been as deeply affected as we were by our number ones or you know whatever you feel like telling us we would love to hear in the comments below yeah send us your lists because it's really interesting to see just how many different series appeal to different people and the crossover the differences there's a lot obviously ray and i have very similar i I would say opinions on things and tastes and so we were able to talk a lot about all of these series uh, although our lists aren't you know yeah. don't really have any crossover it's like one title yeah. on each of our lists that the other hadn't had familiar with yeah. <laughs> we're the same yeah. person but as but similar as we are our our top fives were very different um and and that's yes. you know that's great. I don't want to be talking to someone who's just like, yep, I have the same thing for the same reasons, and this is why. <laughs> <laughs> I suggested this topic as the start primarily to sort of, so you guys could get a feel for our rapport and our tastes and how we like to talk about manga, but also because I, I had a feeling that, you know, even though a lot of times when we're talking, it's like, Oh, you like that? I love that too. (laughs) I had a feeling when we actually sat down and thought about what pieces of art really, truly moved us, we would get to pretty different Mm -hmm. lists. And that turned out to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Been very good. Always a plus. But thank you guys so much for listening. As I mentioned in the beginning, we are hoping to make this a monthly thing. And going forward, hopefully, schedule should be that it's posted on the third Saturday of the month. That didn't work out for us this month just to various... We had technical difficulties the first time, and then, unfortunately, yeah. Ray okay, so <laughs> got this the is, second attempt. This is take two. This is take two, and somehow we said it was going to be shorter, it's not. and it's longer it's, than the first time It's way time longer. So if you've made it this far, you're a hero. Thank you for Um, listening to us. We 
probably won't be talking about ten different manga titles at once <laughs> in future episodes, so that should help with yes, the length. I yes, think. but it's our grand debut. Might as well do it with a bang. <laughs> Start it in such a grand way, and in a way that is uh, unfortunately very inherently usual to my channel in my videos <laughs> so yeah so sh it should be going forward the third saturday of the month as we said we had difficulties then ray got sick so I'm there's sick. gonna be issues <laughs> so apologies in advance but hopefully this was interesting to you guys uh hopefully it gave you a little bit of insight to who we are and what we enjoy mm -hmm. and what we like to talk about and we have kind of uh we have some uh ideas i guess going forward but certainly if you guys have anything you would like to hear from us uh put that in the comments that as well. is it... we will take anything into consideration. that is exactly what i was going to say <laughs> wow uh, so yeah Person. <laughs> two people sharing the same brain just that's how this is gonna be going forward but yeah again let us know if there's a particular series you want us to talk about whether there's a particular theme or genre you want us to talk about we have a lot of ideas yes. and we do want to make this we are kind of uh, a little bit more of a discussion podcast yeah. looking at things in a more critical way <laughs> um with Yes. Kind of like, um, I don't know, I'm just thinking of like the book podcasts that I like mm -hmm. to listen to, and they tend to be like very discussion focused, either about a topic or about a book, and they, you know, go through discussing the sort of themes and their impressions of the book. So I definitely think we are going into this seeing a lot of uh, sort of manga podcasts around that are very focused on collecting as a mm -hmm. hobby and on the manga collecting community whereas we kind of saw a bit of a gap in terms of manga podcasts that are more focused on manga the manga <laughs> itself the series their themes manga history topics relating to you know the books mm -hmm. themselves and i think we kind of wanted to try and make a podcast that was more focused on that stuff yeah absolutely and so hopefully you guys enjoyed let us know your thoughts next episode we don't know what the theme is but i hopefully i'll be able to announce that as well um next month so um if you're interested you can keep an eye out for it as always in my videos i will have my social media down below so you can contact me uh, either through Twitter, Instagram, whatever you like. I'll also put Ray's various social medias down there. Please subscribe to her channel. She is a wonderful, wonderful creator. She doesn't regularly upload as much as I do, but every time she does, it is amazing and I learn something and it's wonderful. So please support oh, her. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else to say, Ray, before I sign off? Let me know in the comments if you are as passionate about animal books <laughs> as I am. And me. Uh, <laughs> and G. <laughs> as we've already said, two people, one brain. And I will talk to you guys next month. Uh, thank you guys so, so much for watching. I am Simply G, joined by my always lovely co-host, 
Ray from Whimsical Pictures, and we will see you in the next podcast. Bye till then. Bye for now. Just to get through. The, it, I don't know, three, four, five are very good. The fifth one is, as I said, probably the best, and that's why it's in the box set. Um, (laughs) And that one deals with um, cultural identity and racial identity. Um, in regards to the Ishvalans mm-hmm. and the Amestrans. Yeah. And it's really interesting how they do that. As I said, the fourth one is very Alphonse-focused, which I love him, so that was a plus for me. <laughs> I can't remember the third one, but I enjoyed it for what it was. But yeah, it's not, like, high literature. These are definitely <laughs> written for, like, 10 yeah. to 12-year-olds, um, <laughs> which is fine. Like, that's it's fine if you know that's what you're getting. But, yeah, o- overall, like, Fullmetal Alchemist did something and said something to me that was not only brought me into this whole... Fandom's not the right word, but this whole community, this whole um, hobby, because the anime mm-hmm. was one of the first ones that I ever saw. It was something yeah. that... I could continue to go back to and still feel the same things about and to still feel like it was, even though it was entertainment, even though it was fun and there's funny parts to it and there's scary parts to it or whatever, it still had this this part of it that was more. At a point, I was reading Shonen, and I, I mean, I still am reading Shonen. <laughs> I, I'm still reading it. There's... <laughs> I just haven't found something that spoke to me in the same way that Arakawa was able to speak to me, and I'm sure many people in her audience, through these characters, in a way that was like Full Metal Alchemist. Because there's always been stories about, you know, underdog heroes and hero's journey, having to come from humble beginnings and then being able to save the world at the end of it. I liked how, even though that's fundamentally what the story is about, that's not really what the story is about. And I really, really appreciated the ending to the series and how well Arakawa was able to integrate her ending, her conclusion, what she wanted to tell and what she wanted to leave the audience with, the sort of the main thesis and theme of the story, even in the first chapter. She introduced that and interwove it to the even the premise, the inherent um, physicality of our characters. It's integral to the plot, and you can't... Like, if you don't know your end point, if you don't know that's how you're going to end it, you can't put it in the beginning. So that was just such an... <laughs> like, one of the best examples of foreshadowing that I'd come across with writing, because a lot of times... When I read foreshadowing, like when I read novels, I've read a lot of novels in my day. And a lot of the time (laughs) I can tell, like if something's brought up, I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to end. Or like, this is important, of course. Like, I know how this is going (laughs) to end. Um, And that's not me trying to be a smartass, but I don't, I feel like a lot of people don't know how to incorporate that in a proper way and an intriguing way that like hooks your reader in but also without just like giving away everything as soon as you mention it so there was that there was as i said this these characters who although you know we have our heroes they're not 
these they even they don't think of themselves as heroes and that was something that was very interesting to myself and i it made it more appealing to be reading about these characters because they do see themselves as if not normal then just regular people not inherently better or worse than anyone else even regardless of like their self-perception it's just the fact that they really do they feel like Mm -hmm. kids they feel like a 15 year old and a 14 year old kid who just got sort of caught up in stuff that's way way over their heads yeah and like they're amazing like edward's a genius alphonse is this crazy empath but it's like they're They're kids kids. and it feels that way and they struggle because of that sure they have the abilities to do things other people can't but it doesn't mean it doesn't have a toll on them it doesn't mean it doesn't affect them and when they're confronted Mm -hmm. with that they react in very appropriate ways to their age to their situation to their prior experience it's like no i'm not (laughs) I'm an adult. <laughs> okay, okay. Shut up, brat. <laughs> okay, small child, you go sit over there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I've said this before, Fullmetal Alchemist is absolutely a super important series to me. Very much one of my favorite, if not my favorite series. It's one that, again, I think most people can read if or watch the anime, although that's a little bit harder now because Anaplex owns the license. <laughs> but I think both versions are streaming on Netflix. Um, the old one is, definitely. I think the newer one is, too. And Viz is putting out the... I mean, Viz has three million different releases of the manga, so take your pick of which one you want to collect dependent on your budget so there's a lot of options for full metal and it's one that like again you can understand why so many people love this series why it's stayed as popular as it has um it's been 10 years since the brotherhood anime started yeah (laughs) i was in high school when that was starting which is crazy (laughs) and And obviously the manga was even before that. But for a story to stay so grounded within the culture, like just the otaku culture, this Western fandom, and be so well-respected and highly regarded, obviously there's something there. And yeah, for me it was one that was not only important for like various reasons in my life and for various things that I was searching for in media. It's just a solid show. It's one that I think a lot of people can gain a lot from. Whether it be the same things they they I got from it, it doesn't matter. There's a lot to parse out of that series. Yep. So both of our number ones go back <laughs> to our very roots as baby anime fans yes. and are very close to our hearts i think we can say yeah um and both wildly popular (laughs) (laughs) um which is kind of interesting like we go through various levels of popularity in our lists and then end up with something that is universal (laughs) and we would love to hear from you guys what your favorite manga is as well if you've ever been as 
deeply affected as we were by our number ones or, you know, whatever you feel like telling us, we would love to hear in the comments below. Yeah, send us your lists because it's really interesting to see just how many different series appeal to different people and the crossover, the differences. There's a lot. Ray and I have very similar, I I would say, opinions on things (laughs) and tastes. And so we were able to talk a lot about all of these series. Uh, Although our lists aren't, you know, don't really have any crossover. It's like one title on each of our lists that the other hadn't had familiarity yeah. with <laughs> we're the same yeah. person but as but similar as we are our our top fives were very different um and and that's yes. you know that's great i don't want to be talking to someone who's just like yep i have the same thing for the same reasons and this is why <laughs> <laughs> i suggested this topic as the start primarily to sort of so you guys could get a feel for our rapport and our tastes and how we like to talk about manga, but also because I, I had a feeling that, you know, even though a lot of times when we're talking, it's like, oh, you like that? I love that too. <laughs> I had a feeling when we actually sat down and thought about what pieces of art really, truly moved us, we would get to pretty different mm-hmm. lists, and that turned out to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. So been very good always a plus but thank you guys so much for listening as i mentioned in the beginning we are hoping to make this a monthly thing and going forward hopefully schedule should be that it's posted on the third saturday of the month that didn't work out for us this month just to various we had technical difficulties the first time and then unfortunately ray okay (laughs) got this the is, second attempt. This is take two. This is take two, and somehow we said it was going to be shorter. It's not. And it's longer it's, than the first It's way time longer. We did. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've made it this far, you're a hero. Thank you for um, listening to us. We probably won't be talking about ten different manga titles at once <laughs> in future episodes. So. That should help with yes, the length. I yes, think. but it's our grand debut. Might as well do it with a bang. <laughs> Start it in such a grand way, and in a way that is, uh, unfortunately, very inherently usual to my channel in my videos. <laughs> so yeah, so sh- it should be going forward the third Saturday of the month. As we said, we had difficulties. Then Ray got sick, so. I'm there's sick. gonna be issues <laughs> so apologies in advance but hopefully this was interesting to you guys uh hopefully it gave you a little bit of insight to who we are and what we enjoy mm-hmm. and what we like to talk about and we have kind of uh we have some uh ideas i guess going forward but certainly if you guys have anything you would like to hear from us uh put that in the comments that as well. is it <laughs> We will take anything into consideration. That is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah. We are the same person. Two people sharing the same brain. Just that's how this is going to be. 
going forward. But yeah, again, let us know if there's a particular series you want us to talk about, whether there's a particular theme or genre you want us to talk about. We have a lot of ideas yes. and we do want to make this we are kind of uh, a little bit more of a discussion podcast looking yeah. at things in a more critical way um with yeah kind of like um i don't know i'm just thinking of like the book podcasts that i like mm -hmm. to listen to and they tend to be like very discussion focused either about a topic or about a book and they you know go through discussing the sort of themes and their impressions of the book so i definitely think we are going into this seeing a lot of uh sort of manga podcasts around that are very focused on collecting as a mm -hmm. hobby and on the manga collecting community whereas we kind of saw a bit of a gap in terms of manga podcasts that are more focused on manga the manga <laughs> itself the series their themes manga history topics relating to you know the books themselves mm -hmm. and i think we kind of wanted to try and make a podcast that was more focused on that stuff yeah absolutely and so hopefully you guys enjoyed let us know your thoughts next episode we don't know what the theme is but i hopefully i'll be able to announce that as well um next month so um if you're interested you can keep an eye out for it as always in my videos i will have my social media down below so you can contact me uh, either through twitter instagram whatever you like i'll also put ray's various social medias down there please subscribe to her channel she is a wonderful wonderful creator she doesn't regularly upload as much as i do but every time she does it is amazing and i learn something and it's wonderful so please support oh, her um, <laughs> do you have anything else to say ray before i sign off let me know in the comments if you are as passionate <laughs> about animals <laughs> as i am and me uh, <laughs> and g <laughs> as we've already said two people one brain <laughs> and i will talk to you guys next month uh, thank you guys so so much for watching i am simply g joined by my always lovely co-host ray from whimsical pictures and we will see you in the next podcast bye till then bye for now